Get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, save, retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. This is the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Good morning, everyone, and happy Taco Tuesday from the opening drive on 101 ESPN in St. Louis, where it's 7 o'clock. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Brooke Grimsley is here. Danny Mack is here. Matthew Rocchio. I'm Randy Carricker. Good morning, kids. How are we doing? Oh, we're doing good. Everybody fired up? Yeah. Dan, you got lucky. You missed out on all the ice capades yesterday. Yes. I didn't have to walk here like Randy. <laughs> he you did. had to walk I, to I work. walked yeah. to work, yeah. And it took you 10, 15 minutes? About 15 minutes. Yeah, it wasn't bad. And you stayed off the sidewalks? Uh, for the most part. Did you slip at w- all? I did. Yeah. <laughs> well, so Dan, I started by having my my, uh, my driveway goes down. It's a, it's a downward grade. And so I walk out into the driveway and I start sliding down. I've got like boots on. I've got nice snow boots on. And I just start sliding and I have to grab the handle of my car. To, uh, to stay upright. To, to stay mm-hmm. upright, yeah. And then you remember uh, Harry being on the steps in Home Alone, where he's grabbing the, <laughs> grabbing the railing. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Uh, and so, yeah, that's how I had to get back up the driveway. And then I switched into golf shoes. And I, I wore oh, golf smart shoes. Move. Yeah. It was a really uh, smart yeah. move. And then uh, after the show, where and the ice was still bad, Brooke and her fiance David were kind enough to give me a ride, and we get to the top of my neighborhood, and I said, "You guys better not know." No, there so, was cars just like kind of sitting there, stagnant yeah. because they couldn't get up. Yeah, and we were like, Ugh. "Yeah," and my my neighborhood it goes down. It's I, it, it, when when you get into the neighborhood, you just go down. And there was a when I was walking up my street, uh, three four houses up, there was a cab driver sitting, and he said, are you going to be able to get to, get to work? And I said, I, I don't know. I, I'm going to try to walk. He said, good luck. I've been here since, you know, 5.30. And it was like 6. I come home and walk down, and he's still there. Oh. Do you, uh, when you start the Tuesday show, do you really go get tacos today? Every uh, every Taco oh. Tuesday? Well, at some, not maybe, Brooke? at oh, some point I, during I the day. I have stuff at home to make tacos. Yeah. I am fully prepared for Taco yep. Tuesday. Okay. O- okay, so uh, Dan, back in the day, was a regular at the, uh, the Carriker Big Friend Big Frank tailgates. What were you doing 24 <laughs> years ago this morning? Tailgating with you. Yeah, so, and, and we we got there at 7. Matthew is going to get the highlight for us. 24 years ago today, it was really cold. It was really snowy. It, actually, it got snowy during the game, but it was, it was really cold. And so, there's a spectacular seafood restaurant in Tampa called Malio's. And so, I made... This amazing seafood pasta, which was great. My seafood pasta was pretty darn good back in the day, and we had some, uh, you know, we, we had some fish dishes, and then we we w- would bring along like the gas stove and make omelets and stuff. We, we did it right, and so uh, we we freeze from seven, and we had the the late game. You remember, Brooke? You guys had the early game. Tennessee gets into the Super Bowl, and so that's the noon game. Back in the day, they didn't do prime time for the championship games, and our game is at three thirty, a three thirty start, and we walk in, and I'll I'll lay it for you because we got a little time and i had my entire family sitting in my seats section 414 row hh seats 9 10 11 and 12 every game for the 2000 or 1999 season i had sat in seat number nine 
And so Patrick had come and, and my mom and everybody. And so, But obviously for the NFC Championship game, everybody wants tickets. So I said, you know what, I'll just sit in the press box. Fine. So the Rams fall behind. Kurt throws an interception on the first play of the game. It's 3 nothing, and then it's 3-3, and then it's 5-3 at halftime, and then Tampa hits a field goal before the fourth quarter. And it's 6-5 uh, it's to five with about 10 minutes left in the game. And I say, you know what? I mean, this exhilarating press box. This isn't going to work unless I leave. Uh, so I <laughs> go upstairs. Yeah. So I, I race over to the elevator, get up to the very top level, 414 row HH, uh, seats 9, 10, 11, 12. And I get up there. No sooner do I sit down and Patrick lands on my lap and Dre Bly, the Rams cornerback, makes a play on Sean King. Shotgun. They've had uh, trouble with this, but this time the King throws. Pass is intercepted by Dre Bly, and the Rams will take over. As you said, you know, it's the same thing. That shotgun is not something they do well. So why did Dre Bly get the interception? Because Randy wound up in his seat, okay? Four minutes later, that came with 8.01. There's 4.44, actually at the end of this play, there's 4.44 on the clock, 37 yards away from pay dirt. Rams don't have a touchdown. They score a lot of touchdowns, and they haven't trailed, by the way. Coming into the playoffs, they had only trailed for something something like two minutes at home all season long. So they're down 6-5, to five, and this is amazing what happens. Well, this is a here it is. episode here. No, this is because somewhere between now and the end of the game, someone's going to make a play and put their team in the Super Bowl. Warner going deep. Touchdown, touchdown. Ricky Prohl in the corner. They sold out with the blitz. That's a play. Is it ever? And somebody made a play to put their team in the Super Bowl, and it wound up being Ricky Prohl. And he'll be our guest coming up uh, later in the show. 9.30. Looking forward to that. So we were talking uh, prior to coming on the air. What is he doing now? I I know he's Mm -hmm. still involved in football. He's got a hand in it. Obviously, his son plays. But what's going on with him? He's got a couple of things. Number one, he's the the receiver's coach for the Battle Hawks. But he's got a huge facility down in Charlotte, an athletic performance facility for underprivileged kids. And it's a full-time job, and he's had it for a long time. But he's all about helping young people. I love that. He's one of my all-time favorite players. He's, He's just such a great human being. And that entire receiving room with Isaac and Tori and Oz and Tony and, and Ricky. They were they were just a great group. To be, they were back in the corner and you could go uh, and just hang, hang out with those guys and have a great time. They he, were so much fun. He was overshadowed by a couple oh, Hall yeah. of Famers. Well, that and was understandably first, so. Yeah, that was his first touchdown of That's the year. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it just shows you just how dominant that team was at the time. And also, one of my favorite moments was his son, Austin. Mm-hmm. Remember the game-winning touchdown and just seeing yeah. Ricky's reaction to that? Yeah, it was great. It was just such a great moment. Yeah, so it'll be fun to talk to Ricky coming up at 9.30. We're also going to talk to uh, our friend of the Blues TV voice, John Kelly. He'll join us from Calgary. Remember Mike Keenan called it Calgary? Calgary. <laughs> yeah, uh, those were the days. Blues and Flames tonight, and the pregame coming your way at 7, face-off at 8. And some news from yesterday, Tommy Edmond gets a two-year contract from the Cardinals. So go, Tommy. Makes sense. It, it well, it makes sense. You buy out an arbitration year, then he'll hit free agency after next season, and it buys you time with Victor Scott. Mm-hmm. You find out if Victor Scott is a major league player and let him get him his seasoning, so to speak, in the minor leagues, make the jump to AAA, and then 
as he said, he eventually would like to make the jump to the major leagues later this season, probably after the All-Star break. But I think if anything, it buys you some time. You don't get into an ugly, you know, war over money with mm-hmm. uh, Tommy Edmonds. So on both sides, it makes a lot of sense. And Brooke, tell me if you agree with this. I I think that the Cardinals need to make it a point with Tommy, and Tommy needs to take it about himself. He's kind of got to be the spokesman for this team. The spokesman? I think yeah, Tommy Edmund is speaking up. Yeah, he's uh, he's got to be the front-facing person for this team. Is he the best player on the team? No. But do the best players on the team want to be front-facing? No. So uh, he's a great spokesman. He's a smart guy. Mm-hmm. I, I think that he'd be I mean, he's happy. He gets it. He'll come out after a loss and talk. I think Tommy Edmund should be the guy that is kind of like the team spokesman. Well, I was going to say he already pretty much is. Yeah. He's always available in a clubhouse, whether it was good game, bad game, bad moment for him. He's always willing to speak to to the media and that's why he's so respected amongst media members because he's willing to do that and he's just a great guy in general does a lot with big league impact mm-hmm. he does a lot in the area as well and with Tommy Edmond I'm glad that this deal worked out for him because it seems like it's best best for both parties in this situation mm-hmm. and as you mentioned Dan you avoid arbitration that always worries me when you hear that because he had some quotes where he talked about of course he's heard how it can go but he's a very mature person and player so I know that he would be prepared for that but you always get a little bit worried when you hear that a player that you like is about to go into arbitration. He's got to be one of them. And usually a guy that is one of the spokesmen has to put up numbers too. Yeah. And you, you got to answer the bell. You got to be there every day. I would say Brendan Donovan is that guy this year. I, I'm really interested to see what his relationship is like with his teammates, but the way that he goes about his business where you as a fan watch and you can see a leader. And then also after games, I I bet we see more and more Mm -hmm. of him uh, doing the media and being a spokesman, being a face of the franchise. There's a changing of the guard going on Mm -hmm. right now. Mm -hmm. You know, Goldie is 36, Arnato will be 33. Yes, they should be the faces of the franchise, and I think they are. But then after that, there's a changing of the guard to where these guys need to step up. Agree 100%. So Tommy Edmond gets a two-year deal. Brooke, is everybody happy down in the Grimsley household in Tennessee this morning? The Grimsley household back in Tennessee is very, very excited. My dad was very excited to find out that Brian Callahan is going to be the Titans' new head coach. This is exactly what Titans fans, I believe, are hoping for. I know that there's a lot of fans who are very upset still about Mike Vrabel and the way that that all went down, but an offensive-minded coach coach young he's very savvy and also his resume he's worked with the likes of of course in Tennessee this is always a great thing to hear Peyton Manning Mm -hmm. Matthew Stafford Joe Burrow so his resume is fantastic for such a young age this is exactly I think in my opinion a home run hire and what the Titans needed and I thought the quote from Zach Taylor the head coach of the Bengals was really notable he said he does everything for our, for our offense. Every single position yep. is developed by Brian Callahan. So that great offense, and obviously it helps to have Joe Burrow. But when you have a guy that not only is the offensive coordinator, but does coordinate everything and tells all of his assistant coaches, okay, this is how we want it done, that's a guy that has the potential to be a head coach. I agree. I, I think a lot of people are really excited. And with Will Levis, I've been saying this, I think that there's a lot of potential with him. And now you have the ability to have a coach in there that has worked with the quarterbacks, young quarterbacks, and he can help develop him even more.
And this is a guy that wasn't on the bingo card when we started the process no. with the eight openings. Nobody I didn't even have, think about it. No, yeah. no, nobody had Brian Callahan going to any opening. No, I, I mean, nobody was thinking about it. So this is why this is just such an exciting move. And it's very forward thinking of the Titans. Yeah. Jim Harbaugh, second interview coming up with the Chargers. So mm-hmm. it looks like things are going in that direction. And then uh, I know this will put a, fa- a smile on your face, Randy, because <laughs> Bill Belichick is going down to Atlanta, and many believe he's going to get that job. However, everybody in the building is saying, please don't hire Bill Mm -hmm. Belichick, and now there's some second-guessing as to whether or not they want him there. Yeah, Arthur Blank likes him. Apparently the football people are not fans of the idea of hiring Belichick. And oh, by the way, that's really the only team that's expressed interest in Belichick. I've noticed that. The fact Mm -hmm. that he's 72 and the fact that things didn't go well at the end in New England— and I would have to think that people are saying the fact that he's never won without Brady probably has an effect. I wonder, though, if there are franchises that are being exceptionally quiet about their interest in Belichick. That if it doesn't work in Atlanta, that they'll be happy about it and say, you know what, he might be able to win here. That could be. Here's another thing, though. If I'm a football person and Belichick's telling me, yeah, I'm going to bring in Matt Patricia as my defensive coordinator and Josh McDaniels as my offensive <laughs> coordinator, you know, been there, done that. I wonder if, and those guys will make a lot of money and they'll be under long-term contracts. I wonder if teams really want to bring in that staff that, aside from when they were with Brady, has been an abject failure. I would uh, be awfully intrigued, though, about bringing him in. Minus Brady, with Brady, I understand that. But the bottom line is they did win, and I'd be intrigued on a short term. He's going to have a short leash. He's 72. Mm -hmm. Not many guys are coaching when they're 80 years old, unless you're Jerry Glanville, who's 82. That doesn't happen. So it's a very short leash with him. So, Dan, why not bring in Jeff Fisher? Uh, <laughs> Jeff went, uh, what was it? Um, 5-12 winning percentage without Brady as his quarterback. Well, I I, I don't like Jeff Fisher okay. as my QB. That's a good enough As answer. my QB coach, as my head coach, as my wide receivers coach. And I have a bitter taste in my mouth about the whole thing. Okay, that's reasonable. That's why. That's There's fair. no reasonable you know, aspect of this mm-hmm. that I could put to it, good. but that's why. Anthony Stalter is a huge... Atlanta Falcons fan. Mm-hmm. That's his team. Oh, yeah. I don't know that there is a team that I have more benign, non-caring neglect for than the Atlanta Falcons. I'm with you, I mean, man. I Why just, is that? I don't care. I, that's a, I, I don't I'm have in the same boat. Yeah, I, I just don't care. I don't know. It's like some teams, like if you have Mahomes, I can, I can, I, okay, I can root for Mahomes. I have no emotional investment. Once a game is over, an NFL game is over these days, I don't care. But that team... I won't even start to watch. <laughs> I know. There's just nothing exciting. Well, I like their stadium. I mean, cool stadium. Yeah. it is. Very yeah. cool. I watch more Atlanta Falcons games this year than I ever want to in the rest of my life because my son had B. John Robinson on his oh, oh. fantasy team. And he's like, Dad, put on the Atlanta. I'm like, really? Atlanta and the Saints again? No, I don't want to watch <laughs> no. it. Yeah. You know? So, yeah, who's the most, uh, on a Met Tuesday, who's the most Met team in the NFL for you? Oh. I think it's the Atlanta Falcons. For me, it is, I think. Yeah, Yeah. the Atlanta Falcons. uh, Maybe, I was going to say possibly the Saints, just because I don't have any personal interest in the Saints. Mm -hmm. But I think the Falcons, and then sometimes just any team in the AFC South, like the Jaguars, I cannot really enjoy watching And with Jacksonville, because of Shad Khan and Mark Lamping, I I feel an attachment because they've they've got St. Louis guys, Mm -hmm. right? Indianapolis. you watched them this year? It wasn't, it was. Yeah, I did. But the Colts had Peyton Manning, so you know, it kind of you watched him. You, you were interested. Yep. But I've never really cared about the Falcons. The Saints, <laughs> I, I, even the Titans. No offense. It's okay. Brooke, I mean, the Titans to me, like, don't move my personal needle. But I would sit there and say, well, they they saw each other and. 
the Super Bowl, the Rams and the Titans. So I'm paying attention a little bit to it. They had the the miracle game, so that's kind of interest to me. The Saints had the game after Katrina. That yeah. that has a tie-in, just a you know feel-good story. But man, the Atlanta. Falcons are just kind of blah. I guess the only way I get back into them is if I get to see old Deion Sanders highlights. Yeah. Then I say, okay, yeah. that's cool. Yeah. One one last thing here, and coming up we're going to talk about, uh, Dan is going to give us his take on the Matt Carpenter signing and some of the things that Nolan Arnauto had to say to our friend Katie Wu from The Athletic. But, Brooke, you, uh, at the end of many shows, are worried that I'm going to get canceled. And uh, what, what are you setting Brooke. up for? Yeah, what yep. are you so setting up for thing. here? <laughs> uh, this one's from the 314. Oh, no. Yep. Uh, Randy, you just greatly upset my kids by saying it's Taco Tuesday, and they don't have tacos for lunch at school today. LOL. Uh, I apologize, kids. I wish you had tacos at school today. And I would say that uh, this parent who's texting in has it now it's incumbent upon them to go to taco bell and deliver tacos to school for your kids for lunch today i would have done that and i know you, you wouldn't have oh i do i <laughs> no, was, you wouldn't dan, dan i participated in special lunch day i was the guy who went and picked up you the subway so, special lunch day i, I was you used so, it as, as an excuse <laughs> back in the day when saint richard had a school and my kids were going there they had this thing called special lunch day and somebody had to go pick up the, the special lunch which you know it could have been taco bell it could have been subway or whatever and i was the one inevitably that went and picked it all up yeah i was i was mm-hmm. heavily oh, you involved. were all in i was all in and you were I, all in for you well yeah because there were leftovers there were little kids. They were little tiny kids. But anyway, uh, I, I would say that if you're a parent and your kids are upset today about it being Taco Tuesday and them not being able to have tacos for lunch, do something special. Give them a special mm-hmm. lunch on this Tuesday and take them some Taco Bell tacos. I had Taco Bell over the weekend. I haven't had Taco Bell in probably a decade, and it was maybe the best meal I've had in a decade. Oh, I love Taco, Taco Bell. Taco Bell was so good. Love it. Wh- yep. Which one? Because also there's certain Taco Bells, and not that they are I all agree. great, but some are better than mm-hmm. others. What was the area? Well, for me, uh, back in the day, I was calling high school football games, and I would sleep in my car because the next day I would do a high school wrap-up show, mm-hmm. and I was in the middle of nowhere in the mid-Missouri, and I'm not going to say where I was, but they did have the best Taco Bell in the history of Taco Mm. Bell. They would put on so much meat on that thing. It was beautiful. So I go to the one in Maryland Heights on Dorset, and it is fantastic. The people are so nice. It's so well managed. And then there's the one out at uh, Boone's Crossing I go to, too. That's really good. Yeah. The one over here on Olive is pretty good, too. It is. Very nice. Oh, you know who else does a great job, by the way? uh, I shouldn't know where all the Taco Bells are, but I do. (laughs) Uh, The one uh, by Old Farm Estates, right down at Olive and... uh, and uh, no, well, it's near 141 Olive and uh, Creek Mill Road. Yeah, so you drive in and it's right there, and it's oh, it's now pulling. I'm starving yeah. for some Taco Bell. <laughs> yeah, so it's uh, that was kind of uh, well, it, kind of a hangout Taco Bell over there back in the day. Well, you were crazy, oh, doctor. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, little Taco Bell's awesome. Coming up, Katie Wu talked to Nolan Arnato about uh, what he thought of last year and what he's looking for. This year, and we're going to get Dan's take on the Cardinals signing Matt Carpenter next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. And, oh, by the way, Marp is going to be on with BKM Ferrario today at noon. I wonder if they'll go all office space on him. Oh, yeah? So, So what exactly do you do here? You know, Mo. You know, it was like, look, we see you as a, a left-handed bat off the bench who can give us a good at bat. Um, you know, we see you as a guy who can 
you know, give Goldie a day off at first base when he needs it. I mean, you know, which we all know that guy is a machine over there and doesn't need many of those. And most importantly, you know, just being a guy, you know, that brings a lot of experience, you know, been through a lot and um, can help, you know, maybe speed some of the learning curve for some of the young position players that we have on this roster. And That is old and new Cardinal Matt Carpenter on <laughs> yesterday with BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Yet last year with the Padres, Marp hit 176 with the 641. OPS on base plus slugging. So, uh, and by the way, was 0 for 13 as a pinch hitter. So, the Cardinals looking for a resurrection of Matt Carpenter as a good bat and a good at bat off the bench. He was banged up uh, last year. So, can they get back to the Yankees form? I, I, if this was a 25 man roster, we're not having this conversation. Period. Mm-hmm. No, no, he's a 26 man. He, he is the 26 man. And this isn't them doing the Yachty, Wayno, Albert reunion tour. I truly believe that. This is about trying to find more stability and leadership in the clubhouse. I guess my question would be was just how bad was it last year that you're yeah. having to go down this, wow. this road to bring him in? And it means probably a lot of it was put on one individual. And it seems like if you read the tea leaves here, it's, it's Goldschmidt and... Goldie's probably had a lot on his plate, wants to focus more on what he's doing between the light, white lines and still be a leader, but needs a little bit, uh, needs a little help as well. And one of his close friends in baseball is Nolan Arenado, and he talked yesterday about that relationship with the Cardinal third baseman. And obviously, though, those two uh, have vacationed together and uh, they've worked together, and hopefully, Nolan Arenado will be a little bit more pacified too by having. Matt Carpenter in the in the room. Well, Dan, to your point, it does make you wonder a lot about the clubhouse last season. And I think that it's very clear, one, that has been the theme of this offseason, is bringing that veteran leadership to help that. But then it seems like, just based off of Mosellock's comments, even from this past weekend, that a lot of it was on Paul Goldschmidt and that Nolan Arenado was really filling this as well. But it does always concern you when you hear okay, maybe there was more than we even knew with the clubhouse. Where is Arenado? I mean, that that's part of it, too. You're, you're making $35 million. Mm-hmm. So part of that is a responsibility to not only perform on the field, which it was a down year at times for Nolan, especially in the beginning of the season, but also to be a leader. And if it's put on one guy's shoulders, which it looks like it went towards Paul Goldschmidt, that's not fair to him. No. There, there's got to be other guys that step up, and namely Nolan Arenado to be a leader on this team. Not only lead by example, but also to help some of these young players that are coming through. To me, it's it's pretty obvious what they were trying to do. You bring in Lance Lynn, you, you, you bring in a Kyle Gibson, you're bringing back Matt Carpenter, you put Daniel Descalso on your bench. You're trying to get some experience and some accountability inside that clubhouse, which maybe they did not have last year. So Katie Wu talked to Nolan Arenado and asked him about leadership and the way a team needs to be composed to win. And he said to Katie Wu, Nolan Arnato did, quote, I'm a big believer that to win a championship, you need a good veteran core with some good young players. If you don't have veteran players, I just feel like it's so hard to win because young players don't have that leadership, that experience that you can lean on. When you have veteran players, you can lean on the fact that they've been there before. And I think that's how you win. Last year, we were fairly young. And obviously, you saw the result of that. So here's Matt Carpenter on what he's learned about being a leader. One thing that I've kind of learned over the years, you know, one of the things that I've adopted as a leader is, you know, it's not really, it's not like you've got to be some kind of, you know, dictator in the clubhouse, uh, you know, and I, I 
but it's just not what I found has been the best, you know, way uh, of, of leading. I, I think that, you know, it's really important for me and, and I'm going to quote, uh, you know, Lance Lynn, me and I, Lance and I just talked about this this last week. It's really important for us as older players to be able to give these young guys on our roster a voice, make them feel like they're a big part of what we're trying to do and that their opinion and their, you know, personality and who they are matters. To I me, love hearing that. Yeah, I, I love hearing it too. To me, it almost sounds like making sure the younger players understand the importance of the Cardinals way. Bringing back a lot of those guys who understood the Cardinals way were a part of that winning culture, that championship culture. Bringing those guys back around so that these younger players can understand what it takes to get to that point. And then you do worry about, though, and I've seen this as a question on social media, what about too many voices in the clubhouse? What about too many leaders in the clubhouse? Because you did see what happened with the Padres last season those are a lot of talented guys that didn't mesh well together Mm -hmm. chemistry wise but I think it was important what Matt Carpenter said there where he's having that communication and that closeness with Lance Lynn close with Ali Marmol so everybody's on the same page hey Dan can you tell us about when Mike Schilt was here about ball talk well one of the things that he did and not all the players liked it but he would bring in everybody to look at an aspect of the game from the night before or look ahead and say did we forget this? This is something we need to focus on. This is something that we're getting uh, away from. And he did that before every game. And I do think it was good to Brooks' point of having too many, or can you have too many leaders? I don't think so, because certain guys are going to gravitate towards certain people. For instance, if you're a young pitcher and Lance Lynn is in your dugout when he's not pitching, you go over and talk to him. A position player is probably not going to do that. A position player is going to gravitate towards another position player. Um, you know, one of the things that, that I noticed during the winter warm-up is where was Nolan Arenado? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he was here. Now, maybe he had an excused absence not to be there, but that's leadership. you got to be there. You're making $35 million. Mm-hmm. Now, again, I don't know. Maybe he had an excused absence. I know Goldie did, mm-hmm. but that's something that you have to do as a leader. Do those little things to show leadership on your team. Him, Michaelis, and Paul Goldschmidt had prior engagements from what I understood. But I agree with you is that those are three guys that I would love to see at winter warm-up, especially after what happened last season. You want to hear them take accountability and also address how it will be different going into this season. I can tell you this. Uh, and Dan was here in 1996 when Tony Larusa came for the first Cardinals winter warm-up, and it was on MLK holiday weekend in 96, 97, 98, 99, 2000, 2001, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, except for the pandemic. Even on the pandemic year. We still did it. it was, they mm. did it virtually. You don't put. You don't need a prior engagement. You just X out the Martin Luther King Day weekend because it's Cardinal winter warm-up if you're making $35 million a year. I think Goldie had a wedding, is my understanding. Mm-hmm. So that's out of his control, and I think he was in the wedding. So I understand that. Yeah. But if it's not an excused absence, you you got to be there. You just got to be there. And Matt Carpenter talked yesterday about Nolan Arenado and uh, the burden he faces in being the face of the franchise. It's hard to have a pulse on the clubhouse and be aware of maybe where things are getting a little sideways or we're, you know, losing some, an edge in a certain area and go out there and perform and play at a high level. It takes a special person to be able to do it. I haven't played with many that can do it. You know, it's really, really hard. So having, having some eyes on the bench, having a, a guy in the clubhouse um, whose baby plate and responsibility of playing isn't as much of a burden as, some of, as, as a guy who's in there every single day. It just helps carry the load. And, um, you know, I think it's important 
you know, for them to have those kind of guys. And, and I don't want, you know, I say all that to preface too, that, you know, I, I think it's very important for, you know, Cardinal fans to know that neither of those guys shy away from it. They, they, they own it and they do it, but I'm just saying it, 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 it helps to have another, another guy to help lighten that load. I, I like two things here. One, I didn't like this when he said burden. It's not mm-hmm. a burden. You're you're paid thirty five million dollars, or you're paid what you're getting, uh, and there is money is involved here. When you say, "Well, don't bring money into it," no, no, that's part of it. You're a leader, both on and off the field, so it's not a burden. That's part of the responsibility. But then I did like what he says. It does lighten the load, and with all the turnover that they had last year and the losing, a lot of it is put on individuals that are making that money, right or wrong, and so it does lessen the load a little bit for those guys to bring some of these new voices in. And you guys have seen so many, more than I have, talented players over the years. Who's a player that you can think of think of off the top of your head that was that, was a vocal leader, but also was a leader in their performance on the field? Ozzie. A Hall of Famer, obviously. Maybe not fair to compare, but not only was a great player and a vocal leader for the ball club, but he was also, when things weren't going well in, in 1986, when the Cardinals were bad after going to the World Series in 85, he was there every single night to be front and center and to be the spokesman for his teammates. Fans may not understand this because they're not around it every day. Paul Goldschmidt, Paul behind the scenes, is a leader of this team. I go to Matt Holiday too. Matt Holiday quiet out the outward aspect of how he went about his business i don't think fans saw that but behind closed doors very much a vocal Mm -hmm. leader yeah i agree with paul goldschmidt we had adam wainwright on our show last Mm -hmm. year he made sure to specifically point out that paul goldschmidt was very bothered by this and was even trying to step up more in the way that he was vocal in that clubhouse yeah so uh, hopefully the leadership situation will be solved and by the way lance lynn is a great get in terms of having leadership for the pitching staff. You know what needs to happen? And it's pretty simple how all this goes away. Win. Just win. Winning solves yeah. everything. You win. Yeah, it is. Yeah. You win, you don't have these issues. Coming up here on 101 ESPN, we're talking about the pain of a losing season for the Cardinals. Does it hurt more if you're an NFL fan to be a fan of the Bills, the Browns, the Vikings, or the Titans? That's next on 101 ESPN. The smartest way to do your homework. Warm weather means homework for homeowners. And if your homework means a new deck, then turn to the deck experts at Hackman Lumber. Browse the largest inventory of decking materials and deck accessories in Missouri at Hackman Lumber Company. Talk with their experts about treated lumber, cedar, timber tech, trex, evergreen, and azek to find the best deck for you. Check out endless choices of railings, balusters, and LED deck lighting options. Hackman Lumber Company will not be undersold on in-stock decking materials guaranteed. You can choose to do it yourself with Hackman's expert advice, or they can recommend reputable contractors to do the work for you. Hackman Lumber is an authorized Yeti dealer and also stocks a large assortment of grills, so celebrate summer with a new Big Green Egg, Weber Gas, or Charcoal Grill, and all of the accessories from Hackman Lumber. Come visit their showrooms in St. Charles, Pacific, and Troy, Missouri, or online at hackmanstl.com. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. A lot of people in St. Louis grew up with the St. Louis football Cardinals who Mm -hmm. haven't won a championship since 1947. Although they've been in a Super Bowl and they've won a few playoff games since they left here for the Valley of the Sun. But with the Bills losing this weekend and the Browns losing the weekend before... Uh, we, we have uh, an inter- interesting question for you. Does it hurt more to be a Bills fan, a Browns fan, 
a Vikings fan or a Titans fan. And this obviously doesn't include your team bailing on you like the, the Rams did and the Cardinals did for us. The Bills and Vikings <laughs> both 0-4 in the Super Bowl. That's kind of heartbreaking. I, I would say that that would probably be the worst is if you were around for four consecutive Super Bowls and those four consecutive heartbreaks for the Bills, you expect to win. At least with Cleveland, you never really expected to win. Now, Cleveland, they had to go 0-16 to tie the St. Louis Rams to have a five-year run of 15-65. and 65. They had to go 0-16 again. Yeah, how hard it is tie. to do that. <laughs> yeah, the St. Louis Rams to go 15-65 and 65 over five years. But uh, Buffalo 0-3 against the Chiefs in this playoff era. Uh, Cleveland, in addition to going 15-65, and 65, they went to the AFC Championship game in back-to-back years in 86 uh, and 87. And uh, they, they suffered the drive to John Elway and then the fumble by Ernest Biner. Then they lost their team for three years as they moved to Baltimore and became the Ravens. The Vikings have lost six NFC championship games, three and six in NFC championship games. The, the fourth Super Bowl they won was an NFL championship. They had Gary Anderson. They had Brett Favre's interception. Uh, and then, uh, Brooke, you can handle the Titans for us. <laughs> the Titans, the best way I can just describe it is just meh. <laughs> I, I don't know what else to say about it. My expectations are honestly, just as a Titans fan, I love my Titans, but I'm not expecting that much. I can almost empathize, I feel like, with some Cardinals fans where it feels like maybe you're doing just enough to mm-hmm. compete in the division, but even so, there's some missing pieces because the AFC South is so winnable. I say it over and over mm-hmm. again, but it feels like whoever just stumbles into it is the ones who will get it done. Now, the Texans deserve a lot of credit for this year, but have you guys watched the AFC South in recent years? Yeah. I don't blame you if you didn't want to watch that because it was not great. But it feels like with the Titans, it's there's a quarterback curse, of course, mm-hmm. that you have seen over the years. I go back to 2018, guys. This is just burned into my brain. Jeff Fisher and Vince Young and the thumb debacle. Do you guys remember that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It just felt like things especially just went downhill after that. Now, I know this wasn't a team, though, and I'm just going to add another one in there for you guys. Okay. What about the Jets being in this conversation? Here's my thing. that Yes, it's been horrible to be a Jets fan. You at least had, though, Broadway Joe. You did back in you the did. day. And you had Mark Sanchez, the Sanchez. Yeah. But here's the biggest one for me. Is there another team on this list that would elicit the the uh, gentleman crying like the guy did the oh, other man. night at the end yes. of the Buffalo game? Oh, that I was think, so painful. I think there's only one. I think there. I think that win that guy crying wins the whole thing for Buffalo. See, I think I I look at more as a city thing, and mm-hmm. I understand this is more about a football mm-hmm. question. So I'm I'm with Randy. I think it's the Bills wide right now. A couple of times the Scott Norwood miss in the first Super Bowl of four straight that they lost. So I'm going with the Bills. However. If you look at, and and the Bills in their city, the Sabres lost to Brett Hall Mm -hmm. in Dallas in the NHL Finals, Stanley Cup Finals. I would have gone with Cleveland because the Guardians have been close. They were close against the Cubs a few years ago. But then they got the NBA championship Mm -hmm. with LeBron coming back. So Mm -hmm. I, I took them off the board for me. I did not have the Vikings or the Titans. Vikings, as you mentioned, have been to six NFC championships. So... I think the greater the stage, the tougher the loss, and that's why I'm going with the Bills. I think then I think I think I have to go with the Vikings then because, I mean, the the Timberwolves have been a laughing stock in the NBA up until this year for like twenty th- like twenty years of their you know, the majority of their existence. Then you just have uh, you have the Vikings just spreading out just 
pain across like every decade. There's at least one time where you just get your heart absolutely ripped out of your chest as a Vikings fan. And then, I mean, there's not that. I mean, what the Twins give you a little bit of a run in the '90s, but not that much more than that. A I World mean, Series. Yeah, but still, I, th- I think it's got to. I think Minnesota's got to be up there. Then Buffalo, Buffalo hasn't won a championship. That's true. They got less teams though. Fewer yeah. teams for sure. <laughs> I, th- I think just in terms of sheer heartbreak, Buffalo and Cleveland are way ahead of everybody else. In the manner yes. in which you lost. Yeah. Mm. Right. The heartbreak. Yeah. Hearts ripped out. Yeah. I agree with you guys. I think the Browns could possibly be up there if you want to take into account too just the quarterback carousel uh-huh. that they've had right. ever since Tim Couch. Yeah. That that one makes things yeah. a little bit tougher. Yeah. And they just had it seems like every single season yeah. something happens with the Browns. Well, and uh, let me give you one more there are six-year-olds in boston that haven't experienced a super bowl championship so oh, that's, that's terrible yeah oh so, my gosh i think, I think you have How to, do they, are they okay i don't know that that's heartbreak isn't it and the boston bruins <laughs> winning you had the uh red Sox with a great run yeah they've had some winning going up uh, up east for sure by the way at the red Sox version of the winter warm-up this past weekend their owner and their new president of baseball operations Ooh. craig breslow were booed loudly they, uh, yep, so and video. so the, the article that i was reading out in one of the boston papers said boston fans holding ownership and management accountable it, it's when you have that kind of success though mm-hmm. when you have it's like here when you have the success that you've had expectations and it's a good thing expectations are high yeah. So that's part of it. Yeah. So and I think they're just a little bit more feisty in Boston. Oh, I would agree with that. Yeah. yeah. I yeah, I can Give me one example that. why you think that. Yeah. Well, oh, that's Stanley Cup run. They were intense in Boston. Oh, and how about the morning after the Stanley Cup when they wanted to to hang, well, not hang, but they did they wanted to eliminate Tuka Rask. Mm. You guys got to start chronologically. First of all, it's that tea party. Second of all. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it starts with that, doesn't Been it? Been rambunctious since then. Yep. Uh, coming up, we've got Take It or Leave It, Tioli, and you can send us a text via the Air, Air Comfort Service text line, 314-399-9646, 314-399-YO-HO! 314-399-9646, 314-399-YO-HO! Dan? Yo-HO. Yay! It counts. It counts. Tioli next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. It's time for Take It or Leave It. Want to say something? Want to put it out there? If you like it, you can take it. If you don't, send it right back. Get your text into 314-399-9646. And give us your Take It or Leave It. Brought to you by Gloria Lou Realty. Visit GloriaHasTheBuyers.com and start packing. That's my final offer. Take it or leave it. Text line open. 314-399-9646. 314-399-YO-HO. Okay, kids. Uh, so last night I'm watching a replay of, and I don't know why. I just A Rams was, game. No, it was. <laughs> I did that yesterday afternoon. Watched that 1999 NFC Championship game. But last night I'm watching on NFL Network a replay of the Chiefs and Bills, and they they have these cut-ins during the game of NFL News and Notes. About an hour before ESPN and other outlets had reported that Brian Callahan was the new head coach of the Titans. An hour after that, NFL Network is having cut-ins that say, the Tennessee Titans are scheduled to visit with, uh, I don't even remember who it was. Oh, no, it was... Dan Quinn. The Tennessee Titans are scheduled to meet with Dan Quinn about their open head coaching job tomorrow. 
uh, take it or leave it, of all people to cover the NFL, the NFL Network should be on top of things. Uh, I'm going to take that. They should be very much on top of things. Yeah. That's, I did. I know what you're talking about because yeah. I saw a lot of confusion because then there were still reports about Dan Quinn. I was like, wait a minute. What did I just see about yeah. Brian Callahan? Are you guys trying to fool me right now? Right. <laughs> this yeah. is not okay. So, And they did it multiple <laughs> times, like after the... At halftime and after the third quarter, it's uh, the Titans are going to interview Dan Quinn again. And I, I, I'm literally reading on my phone that Brian Callahan is the new head coach of the Titans. They have some person probably in there, just press play. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Nothing's going to happen. Nothing's going to happen. Roll the brakes and uh, oops. Yep. Oopsies. Things happen. And oh, by the way, our, th- this is not just NFL Network. On the day that Shohei Otani, that Saturday that Shohei Otani signed with the Dodgers, MLB Network was just running regular old school programming, best of programming. To me, if you're MLB Network, you go wall to wall. You have Greg in there on a Saturday, and you go wall to wall with Shohei Otani signing with the Dodgers for $700 million. It's why you're there. Yeah. It's why you're there. The biggest yeah. free agent in the sport, and you got to make sure and maximize the time in the offseason to promote it. Yep. Yeah. And Brooks says that they didn't want to spend the money. Sometimes, well, and I don't know the circumstances, no, right. but I think that you guys know sometimes yep. that it costs extra money to get all that stuff going, especially on a weekend. So take it or leave it, guys. I'm going to have to say with the Titans because I'm a little excited about it right now. Take it or leave it. It's going to be a Tennessee reunion for T. Higgins. Oh, take it. Yes. He's from Tennessee originally, Mm -hmm. obviously, with Callahan, that connection. Mm -hmm. I think that, of course, injuries limited him and impacted him last season. But he's really, really talented. And I feel like he's just been behind Chase. or He's been not able to really, I guess you could say, expand in a lot of ways. I think that that would be a great move. Is now, D-Hop back? Is D- was, did D-Hop only have a one-year deal? You know? No, he's going to be back. Okay, that's pretty good. I think, though, now I know that Joe Burrow doesn't want to part with him, but I think it makes a lot of sense. Maybe Joe Burrow opinion. needs to take another pay cut if he doesn't want to part with him because they're already paying one. They're going to give one wide receiver a ton and of money. And the Titans have some money. Yep. Go for it. Okay, Anthony Rendon, seven years, $248 million contract. Pretty good deal. He went to the Angels and uh, made his money. And uh, quote over the weekend with a podcast that he was on, we've got to shorten the season, man. There's too many dang games, 162 games and 185 days or whatever it is. Man, no, we got to shorten this bad boy up. He has played in 148 games since 2021. <laughs> so take it or leave it. Stop whining. I'll totally uh, take that. Stop I, whining. I am going to take that as well. Now, two things can be correct. I think that there's a lot of people who maybe can't agree that you can shorten the season, but when you look at how little he has played, then it's like, is this really the person that needs to be sending the message right now? No, no, no. problem. Shorten shorten yeah. the season. Yeah. All for it. Then shorten your what you make. Yeah, right. Yeah. Just take it out what you make. You and let's go. see if you'll uh, agree call, to Daniel. that. Good call. I like that a lot. Uh, by the way, take it or leave it, you did not have a Roldis Chapman to the Pirates as a possibility oh, this offseason. I'm going to take that. I'm going to take that. that he signed for ten and a half million dollars a one-year deal that back end of that bullpen now is pretty good yeah. David Bednar and you got mm-hmm. Aroldis Chapman so two closers I would imagine though Aroldis Chapman if the Pirates do not have a good season and they haven't had one in a long time that uh, he will no longer be a member of the Pirates come the trade deadline he will be he'll flip him Chris Stratton he will be Jose Quintana he'll be that guy that they move at the deadline yeah all right text line open Matthew what do you got Take it or leave it. Caleb Williams is more of a lock to go number one than Connor Bedard was. I'm going to leave that. Because I in football, there is a chance that a Drake May could pass up uh, Caleb Williams. Who would have thought when Kyler Murray went number one overall that at this time of year that he would go number one? Or when 
Baker Mayfield went number one overall. Everybody was saying Sam Darnold that would go number one he, up until the last few days before the draft. People were saying Connor Bedard would be number one for years mm-hmm. before he went number one. I was watching YouTube highlights of him three years ago, mm-hmm. and it was just a foregone conclusion. He's the number one pick. Yeah. I bet Caleb Williams blows the socks off people, too. I, I bet he goes so. in, and, and you know when they start looking at the film and – They'll say, man, this guy, clear-cut number one. Stud. We'll see, though. And where he goes, yeah. I think it's going to be pretty obvious, guys. Where do you have him going? The Bears. So they trade Justin Fields? I think Justin Fields stays. I would draft Marvin really? Harrison Jr. That's what I'd do. So you could, he you'll pay pretty, him the money? He looked, yeah. Now, mm-hmm. I think the smart thing would be to get out of that contract and kind of reload with a new rookie deal. I get that. That's the smart thing to do, but I like I'm like in the minority on this one. I like Justin Fields. I think he can play. I do I like him too. I can just see the money situation could be yep. a big hold up there. Randy disagrees with me for sure. I I think usually by the end of a third year you know if a guy can win a Super Bowl or not and I just haven't seen it from Fields yet. Matthew. Take it or leave it. The Chiefs are still on top and will deal with the Ravens just like they did the Bills. I am going to respectfully leave that. The the Ravens are a different animal, and they had the bye. They were the number one seed for a reason. They, the the three losses they had before the last game of the season, they they had the lead in the fourth quarter in all of them. Now they're healthy, and just Spags, I love you, but try to find a way to slow down Lamar Jackson. Doesn't it seem like a different feel though? This time last week, Chiefs coming off the Dolphins win. You know, okay, nice win at home. That's the way it's supposed to be. Kelsey though doesn't look the same. Patrick Mahomes has to go on the road first time ever in the playoff. Now it's like they've risen from the dead. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like it's a different team, and it makes it has to me. It has a different feel going into this weekend. I thought that that was the best that they've looked offensively all season long. It felt like everything coming together, and the Chiefs' defense deserves a lot of credit. I'm just going to go with that. I'm going to say that the Chiefs are going to beat the Ravens, just because last week I also picked the Chiefs, so I'm just mm-hmm. going to continue that theme. It's if, hard to doubt, doubt Patrick Mahomes. If you're Spags, how do you how do you defend Lamar Jackson? So if you go zone, he runs. If you go man-to-man, you can't keep mm-hmm. your eyes off him, and he leaves the pocket. I mean, it's so well, tough to defend him. And now you've got five receivers and now you get Mark Andrews back. Exactly. So you've got Likely and Andrews. And then the defense, all due respect to what the the Chiefs did against Buffalo, but the Chiefs offense this year has been mediocre. And the Buff the Baltimore defense has been the best in the league. They're awesome. They yeah. don't get enough credit. Lamar mm-hmm. Jackson gets all the accolades, yeah. as he should, mm-hmm. but the, the Ravens' defense has been awesome. Yeah, and they, I, I think they'll get Marlon Humphrey back. Uh, obviously, Kyle Hamilton is playing great. Matt Abike is playing great. They're, they're just really – and the, the two – try running on Patrick Queen and Roquan Smith. Try, try that, uh, Andy Reid. See how that goes for you. Yeah, no, thank you. Uh, take it or leave it. St. Louis fans hate the Rams more than they hate the Cubs. I'll take that. Take I'll that. take that too. I'll take, take that. that. Yeah, friendly rivalry exactly. with the Cubs. Yeah, would you rather see the Rams lose or the Cubs lose? I think if you ask most St. Louisans, they'd much rather see the Rams lose. Hundred percent. I agree. Yeah. Except for Tanner. Oh. Tanner loves him some Rammy. He does. Does yeah. he really? Yeah, huge Rams fan. Huh. That's fine. He's also. Is I think it? he's got a little Cub to, in him too. Oh. Uh-oh. Mm-hmm. It's okay. It's a bad <laughs> combo in this town. Yeah. It's that six it's that's that it's that six one eight. Oh yeah. Six one eight. <laughs> Dan get or leave it. Dan Campbell is the Cinderella story we all want to root for. He's America's coach. Try finding a slipper that'll fit him though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he kind of is. I think everybody don't we just kind of love that kind of coach? 
Yes. Just get him a can of dip when he's yeah. doing, you know, just a little chaw in the middle yeah. of interviews. And, yeah. he you drinks, know. Uh, what's, <laughs> what's his coffee story? Doesn't he drink like. Oh, oh he just yeah. pounds them. Yeah. 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 A, a, a football podcaster tried to replicate Dan Campbell's morning routine. <laughs> and he was like, guys. I literally had to stop because my heart rate was at a point where I was l- worried about what was going to happen because I, yeah he has like seven shots of espresso it's a, I four, have a, yeah. four shots of espresso and 40 ounces of coffee wow and he has two yeah. of them doesn't he yeah two venti coffees from Starbucks with two espresso shots okay so in, in each is more than 1100 milligrams of caffeine that's the equivalent of drinking 10 Red Bulls every single morning Whoa. that's the equivalent of that yeah Oh yeah, that's why the YouTube. That's why the, the podcast was like I had to stop because of my heart rate. He had like one, of, you know, one of those smart watches, and it was like beeping constantly on him. That's that how is dangerous. I mean, you got. I mean, again, the guy jumped up on a podium and started talking about biting knees and ankles. So I yeah. love him. But <laughs> you know, part of it, it comes from is that they're such an underdog and have had such poor success over the years that everybody's pulling for him, and he's he's outside the box. So it's a combination of things that makes it fun. Yeah. Text it in if you. If you do this, if you go to Starbucks and have two venti coffees with two espresso shots each every single day, if you do that, text in because we want to be impressed. <laughs> no, I, I'm going to start giving you some medical advice because I'm greatly concerned for you. That's a lot of caffeine in one day. It's a lot. I like it. Randy, I'd be concerned you had a, the heart condition yeah. a few years ago, so oh, you stay yeah. away from that. Oh, yeah, I, I do. I, don't. Okay. I, I don't do that. I've never done that much caffeine. I hate Red Bull. I just don't like the taste of it. I don't but either. It also makes me feel. The, the one time I had it, I had like half a can, and it made me feel real weird. Get a little sweaty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a little jumpy. Yeah. yeah. Now, can I pull off Mountain Dew and uh, high, high octane Sudafed? You bet I can. <laughs> <laughs> that's just a better, yeah, better way to better do it. Combo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a Jeff County combo. Oh, that's, that's <laughs> <What>? a bad <laughs> combo. Yeah. Well, I didn't want to even take up all the space in my bathtub. <laughs> Coming up at um, <laughs> yeah, Dan. What what do we have coming up? Uh, John <laughs> Kelly will be with I us mean, you at eight fifteen. Nice, nice. You drove around, but you nice, got there. Nice. <laughs> you, you you got there. Thank you. I Fight at eight thirty. <laughs> Looking forward to that. Coming Rush up. hour reset. Oh, you guys. <laughs> coming up. It looks Ricky like uh, the, the end the of Sports Illustrated, and I put this up on uh, on the FaceTube over the weekend with my favorite Sports Illustrated covers. <laughs> what what? The FaceTube. Yeah. And you say you hate Bill Belichick. <laughs> What's your favorite Sports Illustrated cover of all time? That's next. And we want to hear from you here on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. These top stories. It's the Opening Drive's fresh take. Got the news over the weekend that Sports Illustrated, one of the iconic, maybe the iconic sports magazine in USA history, is probably going to go by the boards. The company that was leasing the name Sports Illustrated failed to pay the licensing fee to the company that owns the name. And that company that was leasing the name after they were told they couldn't use the name anymore laid off all Sports Illustrated employees. Now, the company that owns the name Arena uh, Corporation says they're going to maintain Sports Illustrated, but it's hard to see how they're going to do that. And so it looks like the end of the line for SI. And uh, let me start with this. Back in junior high, one of the reasons that I'm really good at the fight 
is because I got Sports Illustrated every week. And I read it cover to cover. And their stories, their writing was incredible. Mm -hmm. And then you're in junior high, and every year you get the swimsuit issue. Pretty cool. (laughs) So that that was fun. But... It also Those are my favorite covers. That was you took oh, my you stole my thunder. Sorry. <laughs> well, you, you can tell us your favorite one. Wait, we're I doing have a sports bunch of covers? covers? Oh, yeah. I did oopsies. But, no, yeah. you know what? It, it Sports Illustrated covers kind of validated your fandom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Conrad Dobler, the dirtiest man in football. You know that okay, St. Louis is on the cover. All the Ozzy Smith covers. We're during the summer of eighty five, we're doing the Heat is on and everybody's listening to the Heat is on with highlights as they're driving home from games. That's on the cover. And the Heat is on is on the cover. That was with Ozzy jumping over a uh would be yeah slide at, at second yeah. base to right. take him yeah. out. Yeah. yeah. And then for me my all time favorite and it just fit because it was so perfect. Was the Kurt Warner cover after the Rams had beaten guy? Cincinnati? Who is this guy? <laughs> yeah, and, and Kurt throwing a pass in that game where Oz scored the four touchdowns against the Bengals. But I gave my my eight favorites. It was that's my number one. The USA Olympic hockey team will never see that sort of thing again. Mm-hmm. And I still have that particular cover from 1980. I still have that Sports Illustrated cover. Isaac, the, the Catch Us If You Can cover after they beat the Vikings in the playoffs. The Heat Is On uh, is great. The Incredible Hull, you know, Incredible Hulk, Incredible Hull with with Hully taking a shot. And then, obviously, Petro holding up the Stanley Cup with the fireworks going off in the background. Michael uh, with I'm Back against the the Pacers when he came back from baseball. And then there's another one with Ozzie. Uh, that's the one where he's making the play over Dave Collins. And it says, Ozzie Smith, Mr. Shortstop. And the, the cover is The Wiz. And that's from 1987. So I just want to know what, what you guys had as a favorite SI cover, assuming that SI is certainly not going to print anymore. And they aren't going to have those sorts of photos anymore. But uh, Dan, Brooke, Matthew, text line. I want to know what you guys are thinking. What was your favorite cover ever? I, first of all, hate that this is happening with Sports Illustrated because it seems like if you know that your team or a team that you like is a part of an iconic moment as you guys were going through that there, then you know, okay, I can't wait for that Sports Illustrated to come out so I can collect that. One Mm -hmm. of my favorites of all time is going to be Brainy Chastain. Of course, it was controversial with the Women's World Cup. And I just remember, because that was in 1999, and I just remember when that came out, it was like a huge talker. And I was like, what is the big deal? This was just like such an emotional moment that was captured that is one of the best ever blues heaven is one of my favorites Mm -hmm. in my collection personally just because seeing that's when i first came here to st louis seeing the blues go from the worst in the nhl to the best winning the stanley cup and being able to be there for that moment i just feel really blessed that i was able to experience that and to have that in my collection it's always going to be a favorite it was just perfect too the playoff beard too that petrangelo had the way that he was uh holding it up it was great and then i'm a huge tennis fan as you guys know played tennis my whole life roger federer the master stroke do you guys remember that from the 2009 french open that's one of my favorites and then serena williams just about any time that she was on the cover love her hate her she's the best ever 2010 and then also when she was just coming up in 1999 the u.s open little sister big hit that was one of my favorites and tiger woods sunday red 2019 that one is really really good love that one i I had that in my collection of of ideas for this i thought the my favorite though is the 1980 olympic team Mm -hmm. it it just conjures up great memories as a kid and i love the photo it's just an amazing photo and how they did it 
I, I went outside the box with this, Randy. You can help me out because you would remember better than us probably. But in 1985, the April Fool's Sid Finch. Oh, yeah, right. Uh, I thought that was great. He could throw 168 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. There he is on a beach without shoes on. You yeah. know, the gangly guy throwing a, a baseball. And it was April Fool's of 1985. I thought that was great, too. And he was going to pitch for the Mets, right? Right. right. And the uh, so Sports Illustrated's writing was so good. And so the the capital letters, the big capital letters at the start of every paragraph, if you put them all together, it's spelled out April, April Fool's. Fools. That's right. <laughs> I love that, that one. That was great. Genius. Yeah. That, that was really, really that good. That was fun. Uh, texts after Mizzou beat KU. Mizzou, that's who. That was a great cover. And with Chase Daniel on the cover, that was, that was fantastic. Uh, we also have, hold on, let me, uh, and Matthew, do, you weigh in here because you had a favorite too. My favorite, and again, this wasn't when I was a kid, just looking back at all the old great ones. It's the, it's the million, million dollar lineup from the Cardinals uh-huh. one, but mainly because just they're like, one of them's in like this like mustard yellow sweater. Another's in this like, this like red sweater. It's the most seventies thing I've ever seen in my entire life. It looks like it should have been shot in a sunken living room. And so, it, like in a circular sunken ribbing room, I love that one so much. And then for me, I don't know why, when I think about that, those early 2000s USC teams, it's in SI covers. Mm-hmm. It's best of 2005 with Reggie and Leinard. It's, it's you know, like, uh, I can't remember the one with uh, with Leinard on the cover. There's there's a bunch with Reggie Bush where he was on the cover. Game Breakers was a big one with Reggie Bush. Uh, those ones, I can't think of Reggie Bush without thinking of SI covers yeah, for right. some reason. I don't know why. From the text line from the uh, 636, the McGuire 62 cover. And... SI just loved McGuire and Sosa. Remember when they won Sports People of the Year, Sportsman of the Year, and mm-hmm. it was McGuire and Sosa dressed up in their Greek uh, gowns? Yeah. That, that was oh, pretty yeah. cool. That's a good one. Dream Team is another one that yeah. keeps getting brought up. Yeah, that was so cool in in 92. Uh, <clears throat> we've got some more. Uh, Keyshawn Johnson coming out of USC as the number one pick. Uh, that was cool. A college basketball secret weapon, Larry Bird, on the cover. They did such an amazing job. I, I really liked their Tiger Woods covers, by the way. Brooke, you mentioned the Sunday oh, yeah. Red, and there's so many iconic shots of Tiger winning tournaments. 2005, the Masters when he won. The last Masters is really cool. Yeah. With his arms up in yes. the air yep. and just jubilation. It, it was awesome. Yeah. And he, he also, the one where uh, he won the U.S. Open, I think it was 08, where he won the U.S. Open on the, on the broken leg. And... I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Jordan and Ali have the most covers. And uh, there were so many great Muhammad Ali covers over the years. And uh, Walter Ayos, one of their great uh, photographers, had just legendary covers of Muhammad Ali. Dream Team was pretty cool. Yeah. Jordan yeah. was on that one. That yeah. was. It's amazing when you go back and look at the covers that have multiple sports personalities on it mm-hmm. and just how it conjures up so many memories. And Rock was talking about the the million-dollar team. Go back and look at some of the players the Cardinals had on that team. It had Brock. It had Flood. It had Shannon. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You can go down the list of those great players that they had. It's it's for sports fans of a certain age, it, I'm sure it brings up a lot of memories. LeBron James has to be up there when it comes to Sports Illustrated covers, right? Because I remember, yeah. and somebody pointed this out on the text line too, the chosen one. Uh-huh. I like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that yeah, was a good one. Still, still in high school. And there's a cool, if you just Google Sports Illustrated covers, there's they, they've got a Sports Illustrated covers page at SI.com. 
and you, it's called SICovers.com, actually. Uh, just go to SICovers.com, and you can see some of your all-time favorites and our all-time favorites. And uh, we're going to miss SI. It's a shame what's happened to the print industry, and that, to me, is that one really hits home. I always liked uh, Faces in the Crowd. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was great. You, you know, you, you had a little, probably four, five, maybe six different, and usually they were not... Uh, professional athletes but it could be a college or a high school kid that's doing something that at that point in time pre-internet you had no idea what uh what other people were doing in other states and across yeah. the country it's like well here's this kid you know john smith and he's thrown for five hundred thousand yards it's like what he did what and that's a face <laughs> in the crowd it was pretty mm-hmm. cool yeah let me give you one more uh and Obviously, as a baseball town, the Kirk Gibson home run against the A's. Yeah, that was a good one. Uh, Just uh, amazing stuff. All right, that's today's Fresh Take here on 101 ESPN. It's 8.15. Time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Our buddy John Kelly joins us from Calgary next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Everything St. Louis Blues as we head into the Blues Booth. Presented by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors, a proud partner of your St. Louis Blues. Find your perfect new floor at our four convenient locations and online at BoardwalkHardwood.com. McLaughlin, I'm Randy Carricker. The opening drive on 101 ESPN. The Blues at Calgary tonight. Pre-game at 7. Action at 8 here on 101 ESPN and on Bally. And the TV voice of the Blues, John Kelly, joins us now. And it's always good to talk to you, sir. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you, Randy? Doing well. And Calgary got on a, a little bit of a hot streak, and they have one more point than the Blues do. And uh, I, I've thought, John, since even uh, even since they traded Matthew Kachuk, I, I liked that trade for Calgary. It seems like they have a, a reasonably talented group that can vie for a playoff spot. The Blues, you, sometimes you think that you can get a walkover. There are no walkovers in the league, but Calgary is actually a pretty good team, aren't they? Yeah, you know they're they're obviously a, a good team. They're you know a right. They're playing ahead of the Blues, so you know this is a big trip, Randy. I don't need to tell you that. You know, you go to Calgary and then Vancouver. Vancouver won again last night, and uh, they're one of the top teams in the entire league, as we know. And then you, you play in Seattle on Friday night, and home to uh, the slumping LA Kings on Sunday, and then Columbus before the break. So five games left before the break. Four against the West and uh, three of the four against teams that you're trying to catch. So this is a pivotal road trip for the Blues heading into the break. John, it really will be. I want to go back to the home-and-home home with the Washington Capitals. You had that 5-2 to two loss on the road, and then the Blues were able to rebound and respond, shutting them out 3 to nothing at home this past Saturday. What was the biggest difference that you saw between those two games? Well, the, the obvious difference was, was the special teams. The Blues' power play was just not very good at all in Washington. Um, conversely, the Capitals scored a couple of power play goals and actually scored another goal just after a player came out of the box. So they really had three power play goals in the game. So, you know, if you go 0 for 5 and the other team goes, you know, gets basically three power play goals, it's tough to win. But I think more than that, I think the Blues played a a really good, strong team game against the Capitals on Saturday. Um, Obviously got great goaltending. And they were just the better team. They were sharper. They were crisp. Um, their passing was really good. So it, it was great to see. Uh, you know, they've lost some tough games here lately. Um, the Capitol game in Washington was not one of the better 
uh, team games, uh, but obviously, hopefully, they get back on their team game with that win um, on Saturday against the Caps. Hey, John, when you go back to Canada, is it always someone that stops you or has a story about your dad who was just an iconic voice of hockey, not only here in St. Louis, but obviously up in Canada? Yeah, it happens, Dan, for sure. Um, you know, not so many people would recognize me up here, obviously, but, you know, if I were to run into a fan or you know, obviously visiting media and broadcasters. Yeah, you know, they, a lot of them know them, especially the older guys. So, um, yeah, it happens a lot, but certainly it happens all the time in St. Louis. Uh, trust me, it still does. I was at the, the Hall of Fame banquet the other night at the MAC, Dan, and a bunch of fans came up and said how much they missed him and loved him and all that stuff. So it, it never gets old, that's for sure, Dan. But, you know, certainly it happens even to this day in St. Louis almost every day. That's great. And, and- John, it must be heartening to have somebody like Mike Leute. And you mentioned how much your dad liked, loved Mike Leute, and uh, and he loved him right back. It, it's not just fans, but the people that he covered and was with on a daily basis. He made a great impact on them, too. Yeah, I think so. You know, as a matter of fact, they came up, uh, Mike's uh, brother, I believe it was, came up to me and said they used to listen to all the games in, in Toronto, and they were, you know, living there, and, and Mike's from the Toronto area. So, uh, I know that a lot of the, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of the players um, back in the day before the advent of satellites and cable TV and you know cell phone videos and stuff like that, you know they would listen to games on Camelwax and that's how they they followed their 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 sons and the 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 moms followed their kids and stuff like that. So um, my dad had a big impact on those families and always tried to do a great job and and be respectful to the players and things like that. So. <clears throat> It it, uh, it was very impactful back then, especially on the radio. John, as the Blues start action tonight, they'll be five points behind Nashville for the second wild card spot. And man, Dallas has just gotten away. The, Dallas is now fourteen points ahead of the Blues for third in the in the division. And we've seen the Blues play well. If the Blues would be able to go on a run and play consistent hockey, what do you think the the style would have to be for them to accomplish that? Well, they have to play a good team game, Randy, and and by that, obviously, you know, play connected and not not turning the puck over, um, playing a direct game. I still think that the the biggest issue that this team has, I think there are two issues, quite honestly, is that they they don't play a direct game at times. They they try for that east west game when they get in the offensive zone and look for that extra pass. Um, and in the neutral zone, for that matter, as well. I mean, get the puck and move north and get it in, and if there's not a play to be made, dump it in. And the other thing is that, and, and the coach has mentioned this many times through Bannister, they pass up way too many shots. Um, the Blues this year averaging under 30 shots a game. Um, and they're just, I don't know, it's sort of, you know, almost ironic that a team that doesn't score a ton of goals, you would think would shoot the puck more. But in reality, they do less. So I, I don't know why. Maybe it's a confidence thing. I don't know. Um, but I think those two things, playing a more direct game and shooting the puck more, a lot more, I think would help this team down the stretch. And it's pretty amazing. The guys that shoot and the guys that score are the guys that get paid. You'd think that people would want to be selfish. Yeah, exactly. Again, <laughs> it, it doesn't make sense. And, and the, the, the top line is as guilty as anybody with, with Thomas and Buchnevich and Cairo. Um, the thing about those players, as you guys know, they're all three very talented players and really different players, but they're also all th- three pass-first kind of players. They're not shoot-first mentality. Now, Robert's shooting the puck a lot more and, and is having a lot more success, 
Um, but but Buchnevich, even though he, you know he's he's gotten some goals over the last couple of years with the Blues, he's always looking to pass first, and in Cairo's the same way. So <laughs> old habits are hard to break. I get it, and it's a lot easier from in the broadcast booth or the stands than it is down on the ice. But I do think that all three of those guys in particular need to shoot the puck more. Well, and you mentioned how pivotal of a trip that this will be. And outside of the top line, because, of course, you need more from that group, it does take other guys stepping up. Is there a line or even a pairing, defensive pairing, that you think will need to step up more during this trip? Well, you know, I think that Falk has come back, obviously, from injury. And I think he struggled a little bit with his his movement in the first couple of games, you know, I don't know what his issue was. He, you know, he got that leg twisted up a few weeks ago, um, but he played really well the other night against Washington. Um, I like the pairs and I think Kessel has come in and done a marvelous job. He hasn't had a minus game so far. And of course he's a rookie. He's played 11 NHL games and he's been really solid, but you've got to get secondary scoring because you know, the Thomas line cannot score four or five goals every night that you just can't count on on any top line to do the damage every night so i think it's imperative you know walkers come in and scored a couple of goals lately um they've called Goddard up from the minors so i think it's imperative instead of just putting the the bullseye on one player brook i i think that you know especially the bottom two lines the blues have got to find a way to get some scoring and production from those bottom six J.K., are, are we overlooking the year that Pareko has had? It seems to be a, a pretty solid year from start to finish right now. Well, I'm not overlooking it, I'll tell you that, Dan. Um, I think we talked about it a lot on the broadcast and on these shows and things like that. Uh, he was so good in the in the 2019 playoff run, paired with Jay Bomeister, and quite honestly, I think he's playing at a level above that. Um, that's how good he is. To, to me right now in the NHL, there aren't many right-handed shooting defensemen. I don't want to call him a, a shutdown defenseman because the guy has eight goals. And, you know, he kills penalties. He, you know, he was on the power play a little bit for a few weeks. So he's not just a shutdown defenseman. But I, I would, if I had to characterize him as a, as a three-zone or overall defenseman, whatever you want to say, there aren't many better in the league right now, right shooting defensemen than Colton Pareko. That's how, that's how finally I think of his game. John Kelly, have a great day in Calgary. We will be tuned in tonight for the Blues and the Flames, and then tomorrow night the Blues are at Vancouver. Thank you so much. Okay, thanks, guys. Have a great, great day. You too. Take care. That's our friend John Kelly, the TV voice of the Blues on Bally Sports. You'll see them tonight. The action at 8 o'clock, J.K. and Jamie Rivers. Coming up, Matthew, do you need yes. a fighter? Okay. Uh, Matthew needs a fighter. As so always. text in three. What happened yesterday? Three nine 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 six four six three one four three nine nine. Oh, it was, oh, it was it was a dominant performance. Uh, won. Randy won three to one. Three yeah. to one. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. They well, got one. All right. Oh, okay. They got a tally. They, they pull one back if <laughs> they you got will. a tally. Good. Okay. Yeah. 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 So, right. uh, yeah. Text in with your name. Did something happen and in the fight from, yesterday? No. It was, no. Just, it, it was routine, Dan. Oh. Just another day for Randy. Yeah. Just. Punching the card, huh? That's all, all I did. I'll say is coming the, in, going to work. This is the second day in a row I had to change one of the questions on the fly because <laughs> we talked about things. Oh shoot! Oh, something it's did still happen. Fun. Okay. No, okay, okay. The fight is next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Fight in the red corner, average Joe listener.
Drive. Rick Grimsley here alongside Danny Mac, Randy Carricker, and Matthew Rocchio. And it is time for the fight. Our fighter today is Mike. Mike, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing good this morning. How are you guys doing? Doing great. Is this your first time taking on Randy in the fight? This is not. I fought him five years ago on the four o'clock fight, oh. and I beat him one day. He beat me the next day. Ooh. Ooh. Okay. Well, let's see if you can get this going because Randy, Randy's been feeling pretty good. I know that he had his streak end, but now he's looking to set a new one. So possibly you could halt that, Mike. I will do my best. <laughs> you ready for question number one? Yes, ma'am. Which NFL franchise is the only one without a 30-touchdown season from one of their quarterbacks? Is it the Panthers, the Bears, or the Raiders? This is all-time or this season? All-time? Is that what you're saying, Rock? All-time. I had to double-check. I would say just by sheer time, it's got to be Carolina. I'll go with Carolina. Final answer. Question two, in the 1999 NFC Championship game, who is the only player to gain 100 yards from scrimmage? Warwick Dunn, Marshall Falk, or Ricky Prohl? What year? That would be the 1999 NFC Championship game. Who is the only player to gain 100 yards from scrimmage? Falk seems like the obvious answer, but I'm going to go with Warwick Dunn final answer question three in the bills chiefs 2021 postseason battle which buffalo receiver hauled in all four of josh allen's touchdowns is it cole beasley stefan diggs or gabe davis let's go with diggs boy that's confident final answer sir yes sir okay question four joel Embiid's 70 point game last night was the first by a big man since the 90s which Hall of Famer scored 71? Was it David Robinson, Shaquille O'Neal, or Akeem Olajuwon? Let's go with the Admiral, David Robinson. Final answer. Final answer it is. All right, we're going to bring in Randy. Let's ask you, Mike, how confident you feel in these four questions. Take it on one of the greats in our industry, Randy Carricker. The first two I was okay with, but they were just guesses. Um, football and basketball are not my fortes, so this is – if I go 0-4, I'm not surprised at all. It's always tough. Did you hear that? You you didn't pick out the ones. He, he wasn't expecting these today, Rock. How do you always know that? Yeah. Who would expect football questions in January? Oh. I don't expect anything anymore. Rock surprising like that. Exactly. Randy's <laughs> back in the room now with the grapes demolished that were demolished those full grapes. in that bag. He really does in the hallway. Randy, say hi to Mike. Mike, good morning. How you doing? I'm doing good, sir. How are you? Doing great. Thank you very much for listening. Thanks for playing. We do appreciate it. A little background. Mike, Mike took you Mike on first. in the uh, 4 o'clock fight. Mm-hmm. Many, many years ago. That's many years ago, yeah. And he won one time, and mm. then you beat him and got a W off him. Well, thank you very much for participating, and we're glad to have you back. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, sir. All right, Randy, you ready to take on Mike in the fight? Ready. Question number one. Which NFL franchise is the only one without a 30-touchdown season from one of their quarterbacks? Wow, never had a 30-touchdown season. Uh, I would think... That you would have, um, you'd think the Bears, but maybe Cutler had 30 for them. Uh, Brooke, I think I'll do the lifeline here. 
Oh, really? wow. Yeah, wow. Wow. Yeah. Question number one. Okay. Panthers, Bears, or Raiders? Um, well, the Raiders have. And the Panthers, I think, got that uh, out of uh, Cam Newton. So the Bears, yeah. Final answer, Randy? Final answer, sir. In the 1999 NFC Championship game, and by the way, we will visit with Ricky Prohl coming up later in the show at about, mm-hmm. uh, what, uh, 9.30 or so? 9.30, is that correct? 9.30, okay. yes, sir. In the 1999 NFC Championship game, who is the only player to gain 100 yards from scrimmage? Warwick Dunn? No, 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 no. I'll, I'll oh, yeah, I friends. forgot. I watched this game yesterday. As you I know. know, so let's just get to it. You know the answer. It was Ricky Prohl. <laughs> okay. Well, also, you don't ever expect him to ask for the answers so early on with the question, the first question. Question number three. In the Bills-Chiefs 2021 postseason battle, which Buffalo receiver hauled in all four Josh Allen touchdowns? Gabe Davis. Question four. Joel Embiid's 70-point game, that was last night, Randy. Mm -hmm. Yes. Was the first by a big man since the 90s. Which Hall of Famer scored 71? Uh, Dan, I think I'm going to go with the Admiral here. I'm going to go with David Robinson, scoring 71. Late in his career. Big story on ESPN, as you might imagine. Yeah. Okay, Rock, what do you got? Well, Danny Mac, I have a winner in today's fight. Would you like to know who that is? Yes, Yes, sir. All right, ring that bell. The winner and still champion of the fight, Randy Carricker. Oh, you you get this too, Randy. Go crazy, folks! Go crazy! Sorry about that, Mike, but that means that Randy hit the jack. He beat you four to one in the fight today. Not surprised at all. Good job, Randy. Thank <laughs> you, sir. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing today. He's deadly. He's my a pleasure. Thank you, Mike. <laughs> Which NFL franchise is the only one without a thirty touchdown season from one of their quarterbacks? It is, in fact, the Chicago Bears. It is twenty nine. Cutler? What? It is not Eric Kramer. Oh my! <laughs> Jay Cutler. And actually, and here's another thing. When I was doing my research for that, um, Peyton Manning is the only Denver Broncos quarterback to have a thirty touchdown season. Oh. Elway never touched it. Plummer and mm. Plummer and Elway mm. both got twenty-seven. Cutler never hit thirty when he was there either. Wow. Um, but I couldn't figure that. I couldn't Good formulate stat. that into a question, so I found something else. In the nineteen ninety-nine NFC Championship game, you think that Ricky Prohl was the surprising thing. I always hear the DeMarco Farr thing from America's Game. Prohl, mm-hmm. well, Ricky Prohl was having a pretty good game before yeah, that. Game. Six catches for 100 yards and a touchdown. The yeah. only player in that game to go over 100 yards. Tor- Torrey was hurt. Torrey got hurt on the in the first series. He was throwing up blood on the sidelines and then came back but didn't really do much in the second half. So Ricky and Oz, they threw to Oz a lot in that, in that game, too. Three catches for five yards has to be Marshall Falk's worst ever receiving line. I yeah, can't were, imagine there was a game with a worse receiving yeah, line for him. They were all over him. Um, Work done had a pretty good game, though, about 80 yards. In the Bills-Chiefs 2021 postseason battle, it was, in fact, Gabe Davis who hauled in all four of Josh Allen's touchdowns. And Joel Embiid's 70-point game last night was the first by a big man since 1994. There's been a couple guards and forwards who have gotten them since then. When David Robinson put up 71, in 1994, he was going for the scoring title in that game That's over right. Shaquille O'Neal, the last game of the season, and he got it with that 71-point performance, and Randy Carricker got this one with a four-question performance. Thank you again, Mike, for joining the show and joining the fight today. Thanks for having me. I'll see you in a few months. All right, Mike, take care. <laughs> Mike with us on 101 ESPN. That's the fight coming up next in the NFL. Tear down or turn up? Which teams need to blow it up and which teams need to make that final push? That's coming your way on 101 ESPN. 
You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. called Tear Down or Turn Up. Matthew, <laughs> uh, tell us what the rules are here and then uh, get us going. Well, it's pretty simple here. Which NFL team needs to say, listen, that we, we don't we just don't we don't got the guys. We we need some draft picks. We need we need to we need to you know go out out and sign some guys or or we got we got the quarterback. The deal's not that bad. We got a good line. We got some good defensive playmakers. Let's put this push the uh, chips into the middle. Sign some free agents. Make a trade like AJ Brown from a from some kind of franchise, and then see if we can go win something. So tear down or turn up. Okay. And, and by the way, uh, the Eagles have fired their offensive coordinator now. Brian Johnson is mm-hmm. out, so they are getting rid of both their defensive and offensive coordinators. I wonder if they've interviewed Ron Rivera, former Eagles defensive coordinator or defensive linebackers coach. I wonder if they bring back Frank Reich as their offensive coordinator. I think that would work. Yeah, why not? I, I mean, bring, bring in somebody with some familiarity. But at Bowl. the same time, when you're losing a veteran presence like Jason Kelsey, if Ian is in fact mm-hmm. retiring, and uh, Lane Johnson isn't the player he used to be, maybe they're, you know, in Jalen Hurts. He was a second-round quarterback. You now are, are staring down the barrel of giving him a, a, a max you know, $50 million mm-hmm. deal. Is he the guy for the Eagles, or should they hit the reset button? Is Jalen Hurts the guy for the I, Eagles? I think there's some people asking the questions after an offense that 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 showed that he maybe isn't a guy who can create you know those plays like a Josh Allen or Pat Mahomes. I, there's a lot going on. One, I think that if we're going to start with the Eagles, is that where we're going to yes, start with the tear down Eagles, or turn up? I think that they're kind of in a forced tear down with all those things that you listed. You have Sean Desai that was fired. You had all the kerfuffle that was going on behind the scenes there with Matt Patricia being promoted. And then you have offensive coordinator Ben Johnson out the door. And likely, by the way, Matt Patricia, I'm guessing he's going to be out the door he's too up. and going wherever yeah. Bill Belichick is going to be going. Yeah. Now, Retirement. there's also a lot of issues going on with A.J. Brown. I don't know if you guys have followed that, but obviously things got very tense between A.J. Brown and Jalen Hurts. Now I hear that possibly that if you see the reports, A.J. Brown could possibly be on the move. I'm not seeing anything about Jalen Hurts being on the move. So that tells me that they see that these are more issues outside of Jalen Hurts than Jalen Hurts itself. Now, is there moments where I thought that he could have done a little bit more emotional-wise? Do I want to see him be like Patrick Mahomes on the sidelines, you know, getting his guys going, which some people made fun of him for, Mm -hmm. but look at how it paid off for the Chiefs in the long run. Yes, I would like to see that, but I don't think that you move on from Jalen Hurts at this point. I think you turn up there. You've got enough defensive talent. You get somebody who can coordinate a defense, and both of their defensive coordinators apparently did a horrible job because their talent is better than what they showed. As Matthew mentioned, they had age and deterioration along the offensive line. They need to do some work up there. But they have enough talent to win. And you can – Jalen Hurts was in the Super Bowl last year. So, yeah, you you can win with Jalen Hurts. He needs to cut down on his turnovers. But I think that was partly the offensive line. So I, I would say that that's just a, a turn-up and tune-up for Philadelphia. What about Buffalo? So you lost in the wild-card round of 2020 championship round. Uh, the divisional three times, and three of the five have been against Kansas City. Do you say, you know what, we can't do it. We're not going to get over the hump against KC. We owe Josh Allen a ton of money, so we're going to blow this thing up. I don't think you completely blow up, but I do think their window of opportunity with this particular group has closed. You need to get another 
wide receiver. Yes, I don't think do. Diggs is going mm-hmm. to be there. Uh, I, you've got some work to do on the offensive line because Morse, who's up there now, the former Mizzou center, is up there in years. He's going to make, uh, I think, $11 million next 11, year. And 11. Deion Dawkins mm-hmm. is at $16 million next year. So they've, they've got to get younger up front on the offensive line. And Von Miller is gone. He didn't even have a sack this year. So you need to get Milano back. You need to get Tredavious White back. And I, I think they'll be all right defensively. The key is going to be how do they surround Josh Allen with weapons? Don't you think if you have a franchise QB that you just go all in with any of these yes. mm-hmm. with any of these teams? If I've got a franchise QB, my chips are in, and I got to go for it because the shelf life of these guys could be limited. Yeah, and maybe what you do is try to get Josh Allen to restructure. He, he doesn't have to take any less money, but the cap number maybe get it from. 47 next year, back down to 27. And it is disappointing to lose to the Chiefs in this manner, Mm -hmm. and that keeps happening. But at the same time, don't you want that to continue to happen and to give him the pieces where they couldn't get over that hump? By the way, it looks like the Bills are currently projected to be over $40 over the cap next year. Here's the thing about Buffalo. We talk about the three losses to Kansas City. You had 13 seconds, right? You had the, and mm-hmm. you should have squib kicked. But how, how often that has that happened in the NFL that a team has had a, a 13 second drive to set up a game tying field goal? All the time. Yeah. Right. And then you had <laughs> the other night, right? The other night was uh, there, there were weird things that happened, but you, at the end of the day, you missed a 44 yard field goal wide right. It's not like you're getting blown out by Kansas City. It's kind of flukish things that have caused the losses to the Chiefs. So I wouldn't be focusing so much on the fact that you've lost three playoff games to Kansas City. Would you feel differently, though, if they don't fumble at the goal line and all of a sudden Kansas City scores and you don't even worry about the field goal right. and it's a different game? Right, completely mm-hmm. different game. Yeah. It's, I, I just love the, the Nick Saban line. Every game, every play takes on a life of its own, and you just can't compare plays or games to other plays or games. You just can't. So then it's kind of a turn-up restructure. For the Bills. Yeah, I, I think so. I, I don't think that, the, to me, uh, a teardown means you keep Josh Allen, but then change everything around him. I, I think you can come, you, you can run it back with that same defense, basically, as long as the guys are healthy. And you need you need linebackers. It always helps to have linebackers that are healthy. But you linebackers are so fungible in the NFL, you can find mm-hmm. those guys. But don't you have to acknowledge the fact that your defense is, it's not like these are crazy injuries to young guys that you didn't see coming. I mean, it's you know, eventually something was going to happen with with White. He was going to finally get, you know, an injury and Von yeah. Miller's going to retire at some point. I mean, the defense is getting a little bit long in the tooth and so I mean, they they have to invest some some draft picks and some money. That well, that's not just going to yeah. be stable. I'm going to I'm just talking about next year specifically, but they are going to have to start drafting like the Chiefs do. Mm-hmm. Right? Because you get a, the Chiefs get Carl Aftis late in the first round. They get a guy like Trent McDuffie. They're getting high-quality players late in the first round and in the second round. And then offensively, you get a Rice in the second round. Buffalo's going to have to start drafting like Kansas City does. And then you have the Bucks, and then you have the Pats. So we'll start with the Bucks. Turn up or tear down with them? Okay. I have them maybe in the turn up category, but this was a one-year prove-it with Baker Mayfield. I think that he proved it, guys. 
Uh, I think they're going to extend him and make him a franchise guy with Tampa Bay. And and that's a a good way to saddle yourself with two or three solid years of winning 10 games and then cap hell for two years and then actually having to do a complete teardown because Levante David's going to be out of there and and some of this defensive back talent is is going to get longer. How much longer is Mike Evans going to play? How much longer is Mike Evans going to play? He's probably gone. I mean, you have some good big pieces, Antoine Winfield Jr., Tristan Wirfs, but I, I, I really think... If you're the Buccaneers, the smartest thing is to maybe get those guys on long-term contracts and, and, and rebuild around them without saddling yourself with a bad contract in Mayfield. And uh, you just look at what they have from an age perspective. Lavade David is 33. Man, how, that happened in a hurry. I remember when he was a young player going against the Rams, and he was something. Golston is 32. Shaq Barrett is 31. Uh, Vita Vea is 28, getting towards the end. And then offensively, uh, Ryan Jensen, their center, is 32 and, and beat up. Evans is 30 if you bring him back. How many 31-year-old wide receivers are succeeding at a high level in the NFL? So, And then Mayfield is 28. So they've got a lot of key players that are up there in terms of age. I think they're the classic example of a teardown. And I think they can turn it around in a hurry. But they need to replenish great players, I think, in, in Tampa Bay. And do you keep Baker Mayfield as a part of that? Depends on what the price is. I, I thought it was interesting. And players always say, go get the money. I'm not paying Baker Mayfield $40 million a no. year. I'd rather. No. But that, <laughs> the thing is, there are no $30 million quarterbacks. It's either you're making, making yep. the minimum or you're getting $40 million, And I'm not paying him $40 million, But I'd rather pay... Or, uh, play Kyle Trask and see what he can do. What other options will there be out there, though, for well, Baker? That's a great question. Who's going to so pay if you're him? Gonna, exactly. So, so who so, he might know this might be the best situation for him to be in. Yeah, maybe you offer him a two-year deal worth $50 million and say, okay, uh, you still have to prove yourself here. I think I might be inclined to do that, but I'm it's crazy, and I don't think anybody will. I don't think, for example, if Nick Saban winds up with Atlanta, or not Saban, is, if Belichick winds up with Atlanta, is he going to sign Baker Mayfield over Kirk Cousins? I don't think no. so. No. So uh, I think you're right. I think the the number of teams out there willing to even have Baker Mayfield on their roster is going to be limited. Uh, one team says they're going to spread a lot of cash around and add some talent. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't really have a very good quarterback up in New England right now. Could Gerard Mayo say, go get me a, a Baker Mayfield-level quarterback, and here's here's the most cap room in the NFL to soften the blow a little bit? No. No, they have the third pick in the draft. Uh, Tim, New England has the third pick in the draft. You spend that on a quarterback. If you're going to start over, start over. And they have probably the worst roster in the AFC. Carolina is probably the only team in the league with a worse roster than them. So if I am the Patriots, I'm using the third pick in the draft on a quarterback or maybe even trade up with Chicago to get the guy that you want the most. And if you're Gerard Mayo, you start there. A new coach, new quarterback, and Mm -hmm. start – the rebuild and burn some cash on free agents and take your chances. You know, and, yeah. and by the way, here's the thing. So Chicago has the top pick. Chicago is not using it on a quarterback. So they would trade if they trade the pick, it's going to be to a team that does. If Chicago uses it, Dan, you mentioned they're taking Marvin Harrison Jr., right? Mm-hmm. That's who I'd want. Yeah. And then I'm Washington Fields too. Yeah. And Washington <laughs> might take Williams or Drake May. So you you have Probably your choice of Williams or May, or if you're concerned, if you're New England, then you trade up. You trade up two spots or one spot if you like May, or maybe you just take Jaden Daniels with the third pick. How do you think, I've been thinking about this, how do you think his body translates to the NFL? Daniels? Yeah. I think it's going to be really interesting. I, he's uh, he's bigger than people, oh, he's, he's 
well over 200 pounds, right? Yeah, uh, he's right ESPN around it. has him at 6'4", 210. Yeah. I, guess, I think yeah, he, he should be fine then. He, he translates. And his game he's so translates. slender, you know? He is yeah. very slender. He's, yeah. But he is very Lamar-esque. You hate to compare. That's who right? I compared him to over the week. I was watching that, and I thought, yeah. this mm-hmm. is Jalen Daniels. Yeah, that's because what we saw against Mizzou, he, <laughs> he looked like he was doing the things that yep. Lamar does. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love him. Oh, I, yeah. He's so much fun to watch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I watched a ton of LSU games mm-hmm. just because their offense was prolific, and they keep running it up on Little Sisters of the Poor, so I would just uh-huh. watch him yeah. pile up the numbers. Mm-hmm. He was awesome. I mean, he should have won, in my opinion, the Heisman. And he did. But I just wonder how that body, he's so slender, how that translates to the National Football League. And they'll beef him up. In, uh... Oh, yeah. I mean, look at Lamar when he first got in the league and what he looks like oh, now. Yeah. Brady. Yeah, that's a good example, too. Yeah. Yeah. So Brady's, New England knows Brady how to do that. That was even before Alex Guerrero. Hey, you, you've been on the Brady, uh, what's it called? The uh, soapbox? No. Bandwagon? TB10. Oh, oh TB12. TB12, I mean, yeah. You've been on that for a while, Randy. Yeah. You're looking great, yeah, too. Thanks for bringing in the donuts. <laughs> I know. As soon as I saw that this morning, I'm like, who's trying to sabotage? Yeah. This is this is healthy, yeah. healthy year right now. I'm sorry. Thanks, Dan. No they problem. look so Love delicious. No uh, problem. Coming up here on 101 ESPN, we've got our Rush Hour Reset. Stick around. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Recapping the biggest sports stories of the day on the opening drive with a rush hour reset. Your St. Louis Blues are at Calgary tonight. The action coming your way at 8 o'clock, 7 o'clock pregame with Alex Ferrario and Joey, Vita- Joey Vitale here on 101 ESPN. That's uh, tonight. It's 9.05. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. A couple of football notes for you just coming out this morning. The Eagles reportedly have fired their offensive coordinator, Brian Johnson, So last year, their coordinators left. Jonathan Gannon became the head coach of the Cardinals. He was their defensive coordinator. Their offensive coordinator, Shane Steichen, went to Indianapolis. A year later, they fire the replacements for those two. As Sean Desai, their defensive coordinator, fired uh, their replacement for Sean Desai, Matt Patricia, exploring other options, as it were. And now Ben Johnson is, uh, Brian Johnson is out as their offensive coordinator. So a big turnover for Nick Sirianni's staff in Philly. That was the only way he was going to stay. Mm-hmm. only way he keeps his job is to do that. I want to go back to the Blues. For the next five against the Western Conference. So you're back inside the conference. Mm-hmm. That includes Calgary, Seattle, L.A., all of whom are just ahead of the Blues in the wild card race. So this is a big stretch of games before the All-Star break for the Blues starting tonight. It really is. And I think it is encouraging that you had that bounce back by the Blues. But once again, something we've seen all season, can they do it consistently? It does worry me a little bit that they're not able to do that and just build a little bit of somewhat of a win streak going on. But the Blues haven't had the ability to really do that this season, to have that big six-game win streak. I thought it was great for Jordan Bennington getting his 14th career shutout. But I agree with what J.K. said. That top line, of course, has a lot of pressure. You need more from them. But I want to see what that bottom six can do in this really pivotal stretch of games. When do you two think that you'll accept what the blues are. I've kind of accepted already. This is what they are. They're just inconsistent. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to get a game like Saturday in which everything clicks and then they may come out tonight and 
If they came out and got thumped, it wouldn't surprise me one bit. If they came out and played well and won the game, wouldn't surprise me one bit. You just don't know what you're going to get game in and game out from the Blues this year. And that's what's hard about it. The thing that just is really confusing to me, because what they did well in that game this past weekend, is they came out strong. But then when you see them in a lot of these losses, they're not able to do that. What is that? Because, I mean, that's part of what you're supposed to do. Job description number one is Mm -hmm. being ready when the game starts, when the puck drops, is being ready to go. Why do you think that that is? Because it feels like a lot of it goes back to that. For talent. whatever reason, this this group just because there are talented players that don't play hard all the time, and the accountability just isn't there. I don't know if it's a gener- generational thing. I don't know if Doug Armstrong just hasn't identified having self starters, really competitive guys. I don't know why it's happening, but clearly the Blues have a group of players that try sometimes and don't try as hard other times. You ever had a distraction in radio, Brooke or Randy, in which you look at the one co-host and there's a hair? dangling <laughs> off their their microphone. Yeah. Randy, I was listening. I was trying to intently hear what you were saying, <laughs> but I was just distracted. And it's not, I'm sure it's not your fault. Did that I the hair hear? It, it happens. No, you got it. Okay. Oh, no. Let me come get it. Was it a, so it's a hair on Randy's mic? Can we get a color description oh, yeah, so is. that we you're, can pinpoint who this yep. is? This is very important. If you're watching on the uh, on the YouTube, Dan just got it. You're, you're right. And I can see how you would be distracted by was that. Was it totally blonde? Did. I think it was. It was just, Randy's got short hair. This is a long hair. I don't know what the deal was. It happens, you know, but it was distracting. And Brock was looking at me like, where is he going with this? But I just couldn't help but notice. Well, see, I thought it was about to be an analogy of some sort. I was expecting that. I was like, all right. I I get this. The Blues are distracted starting early in games. (laughs) My favorite things are the real life moments on the show, Danny. See, there you go. Sorry, Randy. I didn't mean to take away from what you were saying. Oh, no no problem. It just doesn't seem like the Blues have a collection of self-starters. That was always... And we're going to talk to Ricky Prohl coming up at the bottom of this hour. But uh, one of the, the, well, the thing that when Dick Vermeil drafted a player, he wanted self-starters. Mm-hmm. He wanted guys that you didn't have to motivate, that he could just count on self-motivating. And I don't see that with the Blues. I, I just don't see enough talent. You know, That's and, problem, too. And when you don't have enough talent, it's tough to compete but, night in and night out. And it's interesting because... I look at a guy like Jakub Verana, talented guy who's not a self-starter. Clearly, yeah. he's not motivated. And then you have other guys that are not exceptionally talented. And it's about effort. Right, right. Right. So it, it goes both ways. Guys that give effort that really aren't going to help at a high level to win. And then guys that aren't giving the effort but have the ability, but you'll, you're never going to get the great player. So what you need is what Robert Thomas has become. And, and he's not an electrifying player by any stretch, but he's giving his all every night, and he's got a lot of talent. He is. That's the progression that you want to see with a big contract like that, because with big contracts comes a lot of responsibility. I mm-hmm. feel like Robert Thomas, his progression that he has made over the years has helped a lot in justifying that contract. But we all know who the other person is that has that same contract. I feel like Jordan Cairo fits in that box of needing somebody to kind of start mm-hmm. him. He needs that help with lighting that fire underneath him. Right. So- interesting by the way Saturday Randy not to interrupt but I mean they played a full 60 minutes and you go even with a lack of talent and it's a it's a talented team enough to where they're going to have a shot at the playoffs but if they play a full 60 minutes with that effort they can compete with anybody they can compete with anyone right no question about it 
Last night in the NBA, I get these notifications on my phone from ESPN, and I get this notification that Carl Anthony Towns has 44 points in the first half. I think, wow, unbelievable. And then Joel Embiid, I guess, sees that too, gets the same notification as <laughs> hold my beer. And Embiid winds up with 70 for Philadelphia. Towns wound up with, wound up with 62, had a terrible fourth quarter. And Minnesota actually blew their lead. They had an 18-point lead and blew their lead. So Towns, 62 points, pretty much goes for naught. Do you guys follow the local kids much? I do. I mm-hmm. do, too. That, that's my interest in the NBA. I don't have a huge interest in it. If LeBron is playing, I'll watch. Mm-hmm. I like watching him because I think he's ridiculous at what he's doing, has done, and at his age, what he's competing at now in this level. But the talent right now in the league is just incredible. When you watch some of these young kids and the St. Louis kids that are taking on uh, the uh, the rest of the league, it's just amazing, the talent right now in the NBA. What do you got, Rock? Mm-hmm. You're trying to send something to Randy. Go ahead and tell no, we're him. we're all good. It's just... It's- Next, next segment. Oh, We're okay. Sometimes I don't like it. real life stuff on the show, Danny. Okay, sorry. Uh, we are going to talk about Tommy Edmond signing a new two-year contract with the Cardinals coming up. And by the way, that's your rush hour reset. Coming up, Tommy Edmond, a two-year deal with the Cardinals. And interesting quotes from Nolan Arenado in an article that Katie Wu penned for The Athletic. That's coming your way on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. It has been an interesting couple of days in Cardinal Nation. Yesterday, the Redbirds announced that they have provided a two-year contract for Tommy Edmond, their nominal center fielder at the beginning of this year. Tommy Edmond. Great guy. One of our favorites. Good player. Center fielder that can go get the ball. Gold glove second baseman. Tommy Edmond's a good guy to have on your team, and he'll be here for a couple of years. People get very upset when you talk about Tommy Edmond in center field. Yeah, right. Arm strength, arm strength always gets Brian. I see it all the time on the text line. How many people are getting thrown out anyway? Thank you. But, Thank but, you. but to Brooks' point, though, he said he can go get you the ball in center field. But Randy refused to mention what happens once he has the ball in center field, and that's all I really care it about. Goes, it goes in the glove and makes an out. It's, oh. it, it results in an out for the opposition. How many? About, t- how many? This. Hear me out. How many guys are throwing people out from the outfield? Mm. It's a lost art. Okay. A question for you, and I've never asked you this question. Game in Cincinnati, I think. Runner at third, two out. (laughs) Matheny's catching. Edmonds in center field. And Dan McLaughlin, after, I guess there was one out. Dan McLaughlin makes the call, gold glove to gold glove. Do you remember that call? I do. Uh, Did you know that Edmonds was going to throw him out? Yes. Okay. And the only, here's the thing about Edmonds. Not the strongest of arms, which mm-hmm. is kind of what people thought, like he had this really strong arm. He was accurate. Yeah, His accuracy was second to none, and he knew where to throw the ball. That's the other part. So it's fundamental baseball about where to throw the ball. I mean, there's certain things that drive me. Would I love to see Dave Parker in right field again? Yes. Gunning people down? <laughs> in the All-Star game. Yes. It, wasn't that a Riverfront Stadium? I think he did that. Yeah. yeah. I, I would love to watch that. But who's throwing people out from the outfield anymore? Nobody. Nobody. Yeah. So go get the ball. So right. if, he, if he gets good jumps and can make the catch and can make the play, I got no problem with it. The only issue I have, and this is really an innocuous issue, and it's it's really unfair because he's also their best second baseman. So I, I would rather have great defense at second than center, and I feel like my option, I don't know about Brendan Donovan. you got to have him in the lineup. He's got to play second. I get it. Offensively, he's got to be the guy. Your option is Carlson in center. There you go. Yeah. 
But then what do you do with Donovan? You can't DH him because Gorman's going to DH. So the most logical move for the Cardinals now, because Edmund is your he, – he's better at going and getting the ball than Carlson, which is saying a lot because Carlson can go get it. But – Tommy is also your best second baseman. I, uh, it's, a, it's a dilemma. It's a conundrum. It's It could cause a kerfuffle and then <laughs> rise up to being a brouhaha. It's an enigma inside a puzzle. It is. It is. Yeah. I, uh, I look at it that I, I've been saying this for a year and a half. If you're a really good team, and I mean a championship-type team or a division winner or a team that advances in the playoffs but postseason-type team, Dylan Carlson is a really good fourth outfielder. Mm-hmm. And yeah. on a lesser team, he starts. And that's where he's at in his career. I think he can be and continue to get to the level of being an everyday player. But right now, with this team, the way that they have it set up, he's a fourth outfielder. And that's just the way it's going to be. Walker's not going anywhere. You're going to play Newt every day, mm-hmm. maybe mm-hmm. bat and lead off. Edmund is going to go play and play gold glove type center field. So we're going to play Carlson. And Carlson right now is limited, even though he's a switch hitter. And I would say the same thing about Tommy Edmund from one side of the plate. But the lesser of two evils is to put Tommy out there because you want him in this lineup every single day. Yeah, I was beyond impressed with Tommy Edmond last season. And I agree with you guys 100%. It's just that it always happens every single time where people bring up the arm strength. And there really isn't, to your point, Dan, many people are doing that other than Ronald Acuna Jr. I think about him in the whole Tyler O'Neill situation last year. But once again, not many people are like Ronald Acuna Jr. You also figure in the, the other guy on that, hustling. So yes. that's part of this, yeah. too, to where mm-hmm. he probably wouldn't get him if he's running hard, just yeah. saying. Does right. have one of the best yeah. arms in the league. Uh, and let's point one other thing out here. You wonder about the body's ability to withstand center field for 130 games. Dan, you mentioned he had what, less than 200, Tommy did as a center he was fielder. like 140-something like right. that yeah. so as a center fielder. His body is going to have to be able to withstand the rigors of playing center field every day, which is not an easy thing. No, not in the summer months of St. Louis and going to Cincinnati and hot days across the board. Mm-hmm. I would imagine, and I don't know if he was asked about this at the winter warm-up, but if he trained differently going into this season. Part of it in an offseason is to take ground balls, turning double plays, work on arm strength, those kind of things. But uh, as a center fielder, it's a, it's a whole different animal. He did. Yeah, he did say that yeah. he was working on that this offseason, specifically preparing more for that. But I still thought the way that he was able to learn on the fly last season, that was new territory yeah. for him. And he did exceptionally well working with Willie McGee. Meanwhile, there's a great piece in The Athletic that Katie Wu has. She interviewed Nolan Arenado. And here, I want, I want you guys to react, and I'll react to this too. He was proud of the way that he rebounded after the All-Star break. And he said, it was great to see myself do that. This, I think, is the money quote. But it went downhill from there. A lot of the injuries that came with my lower back came from overwork. Some people will argue that it's old age. I'm getting older and this and that, but I think it was just from overworking. It was one of those years where I just never felt comfortable. I was just grinding for feel, and that just wore me down. It put me in a bad spot from a work standpoint because I just overworked and put my body in a bad place. I can't just swing the way I used to. I just can't go to the cage and hit all day and feel good going into a game. Really interesting that he ran into that because a few years ago, and Dan, I don't know if the the staff has changed, but re, do you remember when they had to put Matt Carpenter on the on the disa- then disabled list because of overwork? He he was working too hard, and you would think that once a guy gets into his thirties like that, that the team would say, "Okay, things are changing for you. Your body is changing, and you need to back off a little bit." I also feel like that was a statement of pressure. Got off to a slow start. What do you do? You press. What do you do when you press? When you got that kind of talent, you you just prepare, prepare 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 I think one of the things that can happen too 
first of all, his defense not, is not going to go into a slump. I, mm-hmm. I truly believe that. He's too elite defensively. But at the plate, it can happen. And if you overdo too much, you develop bad habits. And I wonder if that's one of the things that happened last year. He said in the article that his swing is better right now than it was at any time last year. Yeah. So bad habits. Yeah. You reinforce it because maybe you don't realize that you're in a in a bad way in swing path or whatever you're doing to try to be the best player you can be. But when you decide to overwork, it just reinforces maybe muscle memory, different things that are not conducive for you to have success. I agree. I think that you could tell that he was pressing a lot last season. And just watching him, even on TV or if you're at the game, didn't you guys notice or feel like you could tell that it was wearing on him mentally, not just physically, but mentally as yeah. well? And how, Exactly. And how often did we say on this show, he just looks like a player that's hurt, right? Yeah. He was just the way he swung the bat, the way he was moving. He just looked like a guy that was injured. Lethargic. Yeah. I, it looked to me like a guy that was defeated. Yes. And he mm-hmm. probably wasn't hurt. Or if he was, he was banged up a little bit, but not to the point to go on the I.L., but defeated. So when we talk about the leadership of a guy like Matt Carpenter, we, we, we talk a lot about young players. Maybe Nolan Arenado needs that kind of leadership and experience where Marp has overworked himself, and not only did it hurt his season, but it hurt his career. And maybe at the age of 33, Arenado needs not only his body to tell him, but another player to tell him, look, I'm 38 now, and here's what happened when I was 33, and this can benefit you. I think that's part of it. Also, your manager pulling you back. Mm -hmm. You know, start looking at load management a little bit. I hate load management, but... (laughs) But now you got Mark to play third. You know, you, you do if you wanted to, or you could put Tommy Edmund there, you could put Brendan Donovan there, you could put Gorman there. In a case of an emergency with all these guys out, you probably could put Jordan Walker there. Fermin. Fermin would be a guy. Mm-hmm. How, by the way, how's your bench? You got uh, Avon Herrera, mm-hmm. Carpenter now, Alec Burleson, Carlson, and so that's four right there. And, Marp. and No, I mentioned him. Oh, Carpenter, Herrera, Carpenter, Burleson, uh, Burleson, Carlson, Carlson, and then one of those middle infielders. Yep. Mm-hmm. Hopefully Buddy the Elf. Oh, <laughs> Buddy the <laughs> and Dan, I don't know if you were here. Were you here when we got the text about if he goes on the IL? Then is he an elf on the shelf? <laughs> Your dad jokes are just awesome. It's just... <laughs> Thank you, Dan. Buddy. Do you think of these things all day? Is this what you do? We got a text. Look how heavy Randy was. We got a text show. <laughs> about if he gets hurt, <laughs> if he makes the team. Randy is if, if so Buddy the Elf gets hurt, and, and he's on the DL, or IL, is he an elf on the shelf? What, <laughs> what about Luke and Baker? Go to YouTube. He's, no. No, no I, I, T- I'm with you. TCU on TCU crime here. TCU yeah, on can't TCU. do that. No. That's true. No. <laughs> it is. No. True. Yeah. He took his spot, yep. potentially. Yeah, I think so. But that's a, a very left-handed bench right now. Yeah. but Outside of Herrera. My hope is that you never have to use the bench. Just keep going. Just keep yeah. rolling these I guys mean, out. Who, maybe you need – we don't know what win is going to be. The, the The only time you'd really need a pinch hitter is when you want pop when Edmund steps to the plate. Or if you need – I still think Carpenter and the stats will back you up. Is going to give you an extended at-bat. May mm-hmm. hit a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, We'll see what's left in the tank. But he's going to give you that at-bat that's going to grind. Right. The, I, that has not been lost. He's no. going to grind you in a bat. Maybe gets on base, and that's something – 
that is a positive for this team coming off the bench. And hopefully those bench players that you're talking about, it's really hard when you've been an everyday player at the minor league level, and then all of a sudden you come up to the majors yes, it is. and you're a bench player. Dylan Carlson's always been a star. Alec Burleson's mm-hmm. always been a hot prospect and a star. These guys have played. And the, John Mabry, for all of the grief that he took here, did a really good job of preparing young players to be pinch hitters. Not an easy thing to do, and maybe that's something that Marp will be able, and Daniel Descalso will be able to help these kids with from a mental standpoint. You also talk about uh, John Mabry. One of the things that made him great was he was a leader inside the clubhouse. Mm-hmm. Quiet leader, but leader by example. Learn from Willie McGee, learn from George Kissel, but he had three different stints with the club. Tells you he's a good guy. Yeah. And right. that people want to be around him. And I think maybe you have to look at Carpenter in, in a little bit of that realm, too. Yeah. I agree. And I think that with Nolan Arenado, too, just to close out his thoughts on how he's going to lead, he has in the article with Katie Wu, he talks about how he's going to take a step forward with his voice this season. So that's encouraging and what you want to yeah. hear. But then it makes you wonder why hasn't that come maybe a little bit sooner? No doubt. Yeah, you wish it would have, but here here we are. Coming up today is the 24-year anniversary of the Rams advancing to their first Super Bowl in St. Louis. Ricky Prohl made the catch, and Ricky Prohl is going to join us next here on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Are split behind Kirk Warner. Takes back to throw under some pressure. Rainbows the far sideline and it is yes! touchdown yes! Rams. Yes, Ricky Pro. Yes, and he went deep on it. Ricky Pro, the veteran. Listen to this crowd. What a time! What a time to do it. Ricky Pro, no touchdown catches all year, and he makes this touchdown catch to put the Rams in the lead in this NFC Championship game. And not only did Ricky Prohl put the Rams into the lead in the NFC Championship game, but he put them into the Super Bowl with Brooke Grimsley and Dan McLaughlin. I'm Randy Carricker, the opening drive on 101 ESPN in St. Louis, and we go to the celebrity line now. And One of my all-time favorite Rams, Ricky Prohl, joins us. Ricky, good morning. Great to have you with us 24 years ago tonight. How about that? God makes me feel old, but I tell you what, that it never gets old. It never gets old. Um, hearing that, hearing that uh, recap of the of the play, um, yeah, just amazing moment. All right, Ricky, I want you to close your eyes and take us through it. Um, well, we call as a timeout, um, and we're in the huddle, and we had talked about. No, you know, normally we have sight adjustments, hots. If the safety blitzes, uh, corner comes off strong, we run slants. And all, we, all uh, week we had worked this week against Tampa um, that if they, if they came strong with a safety blitz, we were going to run a go route and not a slant. So I looked at Kurt and we talked about it. Hey, remember, I'm going. I'm going go route. I'm not running a slant. That safety comes out of the middle field and they blitz. I'm running a, a nine, which is a go route. And um, lo and behold, I, I'm split wide left, and I see that safety starting to creep up. And obviously, Kurt saw it as well. They were they were trying to bring pressure, and we were trying to get the ball to to Marshall. It was the play was flex left, 585 um, F option with H option, which is Marshall with option route on the line. But you know, because I think it was third and four, third and five, something mm-hmm. like that. And um, safety came out of the middle field, and, you know, I was battling with Brian Kelly on a release, and, and 
got even with him, started to run past him, and uh, the ball was underthrown a little bit. And I was trying to, you know, he was we were hand fighting for 15 yards down the field, and I jumped up and tried to screen him off like a rebound, made the catch, and uh, you know, just uh, it, it was just the most amazing. It was like slow motion, to be honest with you. I can remember every part of that play and everything afterwards. And um, but I don't. The, the funny thing is that people ask me how loud it was. It was like living a dream. You're, uh, and I'm looking for my family in the crowd. And it was quiet. I didn't hear anything. I remember my coach coming up to me. Obviously, all the teammates: Isaac, Roland Williams, Tory, and and then. Vermeil giving me a hug and it was like the 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 switch went back on and it, the crowd noise came back. Um, it's just an amazing, you know, something you dream about as a kid, um, playing football and then obviously where that team had come and and where we were throughout that season, just a magical season. Um, the you know the fans just uh, it was and then just going into the Super Bowl was just it was just most amazing experience in that locker room with that team and that staff of just. Like I said, where we had come from the year before to then, that moment um, was just a feeling you can't um, you can't put into words how special it was. And Ricky, I, I watched the game again yesterday. You know how I get, and I, I I did the deep dive on YouTube too. And one thing that I had forgotten, and I want you to talk about this because it, to me it. It defines you. You found an NFL Films camera and honored your high school coach right after that play. I did. My uh, my high school coach, Otto Gazelle, who was such an uh, instrumental part of my success and, and me being where I was, just as a, as, not just as a football player, but as a person, was dying of cancer, was diagnosed with um, a bone marrow cancer that's the summer before and basically they'd given him six months to a year to live. And, um, you know, he wasn't at that game, but he had come to, he came to the Super Bowl the next week and he had died four months later, three months later. So yeah, it was in that moment, just, I had it written on my, um, my tape on my wrist, Otto, you know, and it was God looking down saying this was for him, you know, and, and, um, he got to be, like I said, in a special moment the next week in, in Atlanta. And, and it was just, in, you know, uh, um, yeah, it, it just, to me, it, it was a great opportunity for me to honor him. And, and I felt like that, that whole moment came um, because of everything he had done for me and just wanted to show my appreciation for everything he had done. Ricky Prohl with us on 101 ESPN, and it was really cool then to go to games after that. Even after you had left here, the the banner was always there in that left corner of the end zone, the Prohl zone. That was special. Uh, you know, everybody, you know, you just, even last year with the uh, Battlehawks going into that stadium, it's such, it just, um, so many amazing and special memories. Um, I don't think people realize you know, we all talk about it. Just been so blessed to be a part of that team and that that moment in time, um, and, and not just because of the success we had on the field, but the the people, the the coach Vermeil, the culture um, that he created, the family um, he created from the. We all keep so such in close contact. You know, from the Orlando Pace to Kurt to Trent Green to Marshall, Isaac, Torrey, Oz, Roland Williams, Timmerman, just go down, Kevin Carter, 
um, Mike Jones, Todd Light. You just go down the line, you can name everybody because, you know, it, it was just a, a special moment. I mean, from going from the worst organization in the NFL to the last 17 years to, to being on top in the short period of time it took Dick to do that, to accomplish that, but it was because of the people um, he surrounded himself with from a coaching staff all the way throughout that locker room. And it, it, it's just, um, you know, now we just – we're rooting for Ray Agnew and <laughs> and Dre Bly up in Detroit, you know, because you you look at what they have and and um and that's what's great about sports and um the NFL is such the ultimate football is the ultimate team sport and it just it brings people together people that wouldn't normally um maybe be associated and and um all walks of life and it's just that's that's the beauty of sports and that's what we live. Every day, just uh, just you can go back in, in time and and just you remember it like it was yesterday, and and that's what it was a special time, very special. Ricky, as soon as you mentioned the Battle Hawks, my ears perked up. I'm actually wearing my Battle Hawks sweatshirt today that says "Kaka" on it. "Kaka" is the law, and one of my favorite mo- <laughs> one of my favorite moments last season was seeing your son with that game-winning touchdown, Austin, and the way that he was able to celebrate with you. So, a lot of fans, I'm sure, want to know: Will you be returning to the Battle Hawks this season? I won't. I won't be returning. Um, it was for me. It was the whole delayed in the season. You know, one of the reasons I got into it, obviously, it was just I was so excited to to go to St. Louis, um, and it was oh, I loved it. Last year, it was it's like I told people they asked me how it was. I said oh, it's too good to be true. It was I had a great room of guys, players. Um, it was so much fun to go back to St. Louis, coaching that dome, um, coach my son. Um, I just, but part of the reason I got in it was it was a devel- developmental league to, to help guys that had been scarred or been released and just to work with those guys to give them an opportunity to get back into the NFL. And we did that, and we were successful at it. Um, a, a ton of our players got back into training camps. And, and now with it being pushed to the end of March um, in July, these guys aren't going to have that same opportunity. And, and I, I, I'm hoping that with negotiations that it kind of pushed it back with the merge of the USFL and the XFL and that maybe next year um, they'll move it back to where it was. Because I think it was – I mean, you guys can tell me. I thought it was su- successful. I mean, mm-hmm. that dome was rocking 40,000. I mean, it was the best stadium in the league. And the fans, it just shows you what kind of fans – St. Louis has, and, and, and I, in my mind, I, and nobody can tell me different. It's the best sports town in our country. It's they're so loyal. They're they're um, they're there through thick and thin, and and they show that. And they showed that with the Redbirds. They show it with the Blues, and they showed it with us with the Rams, and and um, and that, and with the Battle Hawks. It, it was amazing. It was a truly a home field advantage. It was so it was electric in that place. And um, as a Ram, as a Battle Hawk, it, it was so much fun. And and so like when I go back to St. Louis, it just feels like home. It's such such a special place with such so many special people. Ricky, what would it mean in in that grouping of wide receivers that you had here in St. Louis and great offensive players that have made it to the Hall of Fame? What would it mean to see Tory go in? Somebody that uh, obviously you're you're very close to. It would mean a lot. He's going to get in. I mean, I don't know if it's this year. Uh, you know, we're we're all praying and we're all on 
the group texts and, and um, but I, it's just a matter of time. He, he's going to get in. Um, he deserves to get in, and, and I, I truly believe he will get in. And uh, it just shows you what kind of team we had and um, the kind of people we had. And that, that's the biggest thing. Like I said, it's they're Hall of Fame players, but they're Hall of Fame people too, and that, that's what was special. Hey, Ricky, I, I know you're still working with receivers. You're still a coach at heart. What are you up to right now? I am in Orange County, California, uh, working with um, Roma Dunze, who could be, you know, he's going to be a top pick wide receiver. So I'm out here doing combine training with some receivers and tight ends in um, Irvine, California. Awesome. Well, we appreciate your time and uh, everything that you do for us. And, hey, you know you know us when you call us the best sports town in America. We, we, we know you mean it, and we love you for it. We really appreciate it. Well, I love you guys, too, and I appreciate your call. And uh, special day, special memories. Uh, great anniversary. I appreciate you guys with just honoring it and keeping it, keeping it alive. It's, it, it was a special time. No doubt. We'll never forget it, Ricky, and we'll never forget you, and we'll talk soon. Thank you so much, Randy. I appreciate it. All right. Take care. That is our friend Ricky Prohl joining us here on 101 ESPN. It's so cool to have players and Isaac does an incredible job with his touchdown that beat the Titans in the Super Bowl. But I love to have guys close their eyes because they have such vivid memories of everything that happened. And Isaac talks, Isaac tells a great story about how the, the smoke from halftime was still wafting in the rafters of uh, the old Atlanta stadium, the, the Georgia Dome. And I, by the way, Isaac says this Ricky Prohl's catch was the biggest catch of his career. Always says that. Yeah. Always gives him credit for that. I had a chance to visit with Isaac. He was in town for the uh, Antori Ascension Charity Classic this last mm-hmm. summer. Asked him about it. He said, you know, I'm most proud of one time I got a game ball for the blocks I had. And the other catch that stands out for me the most is Ricky Prohl's. Yeah. Always deferring to other people. Yeah. Thanks to Ricky for joining us. Coming up, we're going to head down the stretch with Rock and Roll here on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Let's rock. Let's rock today. It's time for Rock and Roll here on 101 ESPN. Matthew, what do you got for us? Well, there's been some news, and, and here's what we're going to do. I'm going to play this really quick. Uh, that, that's the sound of Vuvuzelas at the oh, 2010 uh, the World Cup, and that means that it's time for a little soccer talk. The fact that that, the fact that Randy knows Vuvuzelas, even though it was from four I World Cups ago, that's insane. See, do you really? I, oh, yeah, I've been to soccer games. I didn't. And, but you actually have one of those? Absolutely. I thought to myself, I go, what sound effect could I pull to be like, this is our soccer update? And I was like, what's a ubiquitous sound effect in the world of sports and soccer in America, despite the fact that it wasn't used in America and hasn't been used in soccer popularly since the since over a decade ago? Really? And Vuvuzelas was 100% the pick, and I was 100% right to use it. Huh. Jesus. It sounds like me when I was trying to learn how to play the French horn very early on. <laughs> That's what it sounds like. Uh, but anyhow, there has been multiple confirmations, including transfer market with Fabrizio Romano, who is saying that MLS has approved the documents for Nico Joachini to go to Como, the Serie B uh, team so Dan, in Italy. Were you aware that Columbia, Missouri had gotten a soccer <laughs> no, team? No, I know I, I wasn't. <laughs> oh my God. 
Como has one now. Well, Columbia <laughs> Mo. Here's the thing. Here's they the got thing. a stadium. They play. The, the, this is why you got to wonder why, why does he want to go to a, a Serie B team, a lower market Italian team, mm-hmm. when he's on on a big you know American team. Pasta. Here's the thing. Um, not only that, but uh, Como plays at the Stadio Giuseppe Singigalia, which is right on Lake Como. It literally oh. looks off oh. into the, one of the most picturesque scenes on the entire planet. Just Google Como, um, Como Soccer Club, and then look at their stadium, which, by the way, was built because Benito Mussolini asked them to build it. Just a little side thing. Um, this is what happens when you do soccer stuff in Europe. Weird things start happening when you start looking into the history of things. But anyhow, look at the stadium he would be playing in, the fact that he would look out over one of the most beautiful sights in, in the entire world. Second only, I think, to that shot you get from Saint, uh, from City Park Thank down you. to the arch. Hello. Second only to that, but also that'd be a pretty nice shot. But um, the so the how numbers. How long does he have to go there for? I mean, he, he, he they, they sell him there. He goes there until his contract. Isn't runs that out. illegal? No, is that not it's soccer. People? It's transferring. I think there's like <laughs> an organization that. I think Miles Michaelis of, works against that. Speaking of. <laughs> They sell the rights to the player, Randy. Oh, oh that's better. Okay. Nice tie-in with know. Miles Michaelis' yeah, organization. Big, big Let's make sure that we make that clear. City, <laughs> and all that he does. City is reportedly looking to purchase a replacement for Nico Giochini from Dan, Germany. Dan, please come back tomorrow. Please don't leave us. Oh, I'm just taking it all in. <laughs> it's a lot. Randy's like a tomato over there. He's so pleased Cedric with himself. Tuch- they were talking about Cedric Tuchert, who is a who is a striker for Hanover in second Bundesliga. A lot of second division uh, teams are talking about here. He apparently is worth about two million dollars. They're apparently going to get two million dollars plus another four uh, plus another two million in. Um, clauses for Nico Giochini. The big thing here, why I would question this report while you're seeing it, which is his reported value is $2 million. City does not want to add another designated player. If you're making $2 million a year or if your transfer fee is $2 million a year, you are considered a designated player by the MLS rules. Okay. So either this report is false or this guy is getting sold for a little bit less money than what the market dictates. What if it's, it, it, But is it a hard $2 million? Like if it's 1.95, do people try to circumvent? It's 1.65 million is the actual what, what the transfer fee and salary combined on a year Yearly basis cannot be above 1.65 million, or else you are then a designated player. Got it. Okay. That is the MLS's weird rule. Uh, one other note uh, that was came out of City yesterday was Miguel Perez has been loaned to USL side Birmingham City, which is a good thing for him because usually he'd be playing a lot of his games at the MLS Next if he's not with the number one team. And the way the soccer pyramid works in the United States is MLS one. USL 2, MLS Next Pro 3. So technically, this is getting him more time at a league that's better than the one he would be in anyhow. They pay a salary. He starts a bunch of games, and maybe in a year or two, he's actually contributing to the first team. All right. So Birmingham City. And they can, and big. here's the thing. If they get a bunch of injuries, they can recall him back at any time because that's how loans work in soccer. Oh, what do they good. all fire up? They, they, they're in training camp right now. They're in they're... training camp right now down in Florida. They, they had a change. They were supposed to have a friendly against Nashville on the 20th over the weekend. They had to change up their schedule, so they had an intra-squad scrimmage over this weekend. They'll be playing Nashville later this week because Columbus had to change their schedule. Bottom line is, City is playing a game in City Park in under a month. February 20th, they will host the Houston Dynamo for the first game of the CONCACAF Champions Cup. Okay. Two questions. Number one, is there any way that this replacement guy could be an upgrade over Nico. He has eight game, eight goals in 12 games in second Bundesliga. So is he, is he fun so to I th- watch? I think he's about the same level. Is he, is he, is he, so he'll be a fun player to watch? I think so. So we can call him Cedric the Entertainer. 
Am I wrong? No. Yeah, that's great. You, you're great at nicknames. I enjoy your nicknames, Randy. They're, they're fantastic. Sure. Yeah. No, now I just want redheaded players so we can have Cedric the Entertainer and Red Fox. <laughs> there we go. Oh, there you go. Yeah, let me get a St. Louis comedian thing. So these all sound like good things, right? Yeah. Positive news. As for playing here, you said February 20th. Is that what you said? February 20th, the only place in the Can you Houston imagine? Dynamo. You go from Florida, and they're going to California afterwards, yeah. right? And then they're coming here? Is that the plan? I believe it is. Is they finish out this week in Florida, they're back here in St. Louis for a week, and okay. then they're back in California for their final week of yeah. camp, and then they obviously they come back here for the, the final tune-up before they have to play a game three months after they were last playing. Amazing! It's a long season. It, it is. is and a short yeah. off season. Yeah, and you might get sold to Italy out of nowhere. Yeah, or really. just get that loaned out to Birmingham. Being honest, what about getting loaned out to Birmingham? How about that Nothing one? Wrong with that. I think yeah, you, there you I'm go, Brooke. You're on out. camera, by the way. Brooke, you're Oopsies. on camera when you make that face. I love Birmingham. There you go. Nicely done. Birmingham is great. <laughs> is Birmingham, uh, they, they might be right tied with us as most dangerous city. Oh, okay. Are they really? Uh, I think so, yeah. Let's just do I'd be a check angry, here. too, if I was yeah. there. Oops. But you're going to get more playing time if you're Miggy Perez, so that's, that's true. That's the that's, positive. That's the positive. Oh, no, Happy for him okay, in that regard, so, but. Uh, no, Birmingham has, um, they, they fall. Oh, here they are. Yeah, they're they're down. They're still in the top fifteen, but we're we're number we're number one. We're, we're number one. one. We're, we're number, number one. one. Okay, God, that was dark. Yeah, it kind of was. Uh, thank you, Matthew. Great job today. Pleasure. It's our uh, producer, audio, video engineer, the one, the only Matthew Rocchio. Brooke, did you have fun today? I did. Oh, I don't have any. No. Crickets. Sorry. Yeah. Crickets. Well, see your face. See your face. Uh, Danny Mac, are you coming back tomorrow? We'll see you tomorrow. If you guys want me around, <laughs> we, we, we would love you here. All right. Thank you very much for the donuts today. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you, Danny. You're yeah. welcome. Donuts are and, so good. Uh, on the team. Oh, that's so awesome. Good to have you here. And uh, we thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show. For all of us, until tomorrow morning at 7, have a great Taco Tuesday, everyone. That's right. You've been listening to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN and ESPN.com. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers.